happier place to be. I won't cry miracle. Maple syrup is the best. It's so yeah. good. Just be present with me and love me. I won't cry wow. 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 First of all, okay, you've got this leap. How does it happen, this genetic leap? Okay, maybe just through luck. But it's it's um, recessive. So if you don't make a use of it, it will disappear. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with the fabulous Bruce Fenton a little bit later about his book, Exogenesis, uh, talking about the possibility of life um, originating off of Earth. Of course, his last book was Into Africa. Now it's Into Earth. <laughs> we got Graham from Earth Dunlop here helping out with the intro, everybody's favorite podcaster. <clears throat> Taking a little time this week to hang out with some family. The fabulous Mary Dunlop's in town. <laughs> As you guys know from, I can't remember which episode. Oh, yeah. We had the moms on. Yeah, we had the moms on. Yeah. Like, must have been. Three years ago now? We were getting sick of the mom jokes, so we actually had them on. Didn't stop the mom joke, so. No. Yeah. No, it's good. Slowed them down. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah hybrid humans. This is a great conversation. He also kind of wraps it into, like, we talk about his book, obviously, and all this stuff, but then we, he wraps it into, like, what's going on in our contemporary culture, really. It's pretty cool. It's a great chat. Bruce is always uh, fun mm-hmm. to chat with. He's a pro. How yeah. you doing, buddy? Good. Yeah? Living the dream. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Killing anything lately? Uh, I caught some fish yesterday. Oh, nice. A couple yeah. of fish. Good. Had some fish tacos. Really? What kind of fish? Pike. Real old pike. Two oh. walleye and a pike. Oh, yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it was all right. Had some nice fish tacos, a little spicy. Yeah. And uh, that's it. I might go try and shoot a deer next next weekend. Oh, yeah. I got the fridge plugged in for you if you need it. So next Do you? Well, I got my little yeah. deep freeze there. Oh, okay. Should I unplug it then? Or? Um, for now, I'll tell you what, I'll just unplug it. it and save the energy. Then it won't be cold. Just give me like a day's heads up. And... All right. I'll call you from the field. <laughs> I've got it. I got the it. The eagle has landed. Because if, if I shoot something big, I might want to <laughs> pile up some meat in that motherfucker. For a couple days until I process it. Yeah. Cool, man. That's good. You should come out. Yeah, I'd like to one day. Maybe not for the hunt, but just to learn how to shoot. The hunt. We'll cut out the. Well, after we get it, we'll get you inside. I mean, for I've, a picture. I've been practicing my pistol with my pistol with the new game I got. Luke my, Skywalker. Uh, my my sister bought me the Oculus set, the new the newer one. The Rift. No, uh, Quest. Quest. What's yeah. that? It's the newer version. So you have a so VR now. Your sister whip. bought you a VR pistol for whip. your birthday. Yep. Pistol whip. I'm practicing my shooting with that. Oh, I went to escape room yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I think we should, I'll have you over one day. Cause I think there's an escape room in VR. We can do since you're getting a real good at the escape room. Geez, you're getting you're doing a lot of those, eh? Like 40, 43 minutes. Good for you. Wow. I think we're probably on the board down there. Level really? one. Yeah. Level one. Nice. Busted out. You know, there's not much else to do right now. We went for a scooter ride. 
Oh yeah, cool. And uh, to the escape room, escaped. You went to the, from the scooters to the skate room. Escape no. room. Escape room's kind of up on Sixteenth <clears throat> Ave there. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Those scooters can get pretty expensive if you spend too much time on them. I yeah, spent a, I spent I mean, a. You can do like fifty bucks. I think the, twenty the, minutes. Yeah, you can do. Yeah, you want to keep it. If you go like to forty or fifty minutes, you're spending lots of money. Like oh yeah, hundred bucks goes by in no time on those. And then scooters. I accidentally went out of the zone. Oh. And for whatever reason, it didn't trigger out of the zone until I was like a kilometer out of the zone. And then it's like, okay, you're out of the zone. So now it's like <laughs> maxed it? out at eight kilometers an hour till you're back in the zone. So no like way. Just a slow march back to the zone, the downtown core zone. But at least the escape room, I mean, Buddy's wearing a mask, but he's still not making you wear a mask. That's good. Yeah, good. I can see it coming, though. I wore a mask at Hilti the other day. So you think it's getting worse then? Oh yeah, I think mandatory masks are coming for sure. I, I think you're right. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I don't I mean, want to be right. This is a good time to mention. We haven't mentioned it before. We'll put a link in the show notes. We do have Gramerica masks. There's all <laughs> sorts of them. We have the, uh, of course, the number one Gramerica selling item of all time. The this is bullshit mask. I just posted on Instagram. We sold tonight. hundreds of them. Did you have the link to it too? I, I pay. You can't put a link in a post, but I pasted it in just so people know how to find it. You can't put the link in the post. You have to change your profile with the link. I wasn't going to go through all that just to put the red bubble link in the profile. You have to do what now? What you have to what verify your profile? No, you know you have to put. You know you're allowed a link in your profile. So if I posted something with a link that I really want people to go, I'd have to change my profile link, and then oh, people go clever. there. You can, yeah. People do What's that. The Some link people right do now? that. The link for what? What's your link in your profile now? Just gra- just the website, grimerica.com. Or, .ca? Yeah, .ca, yeah. We also own grimera.ca. Oh, cool. Yeah. Grimeri. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean... Like, what, like just, there's, I mean, there's not just a smart-ass mask. There's a good vibes mask. There's a I'm not a wing. I'm not just a wing. I'm a whole bird mask. I mean, there's a, a bunch of masks. Pretty, basically, you can get any Grimerica thing you can get in a T-shirt you can get in a mask, but people are really, I mean, we've sold probably 200. This is bullshit masks. So by far our best selling item of all time. So jump on the bandwagon. It's a good way because I mean, it seems like the mandatory masks are coming. I can't I, believe you're I, saying that. I, I mean, I don't agree in, with it in Texas. I just, I mean, I thought this was a rumor. I thought it was a, a meme. I thought it was fake news that people are asking you to wear it inside in your home. Wear the mask in your home. I mean, what is it coming to now? Well, I don't think anyone's going to, well, and it's people. true. I mean, I was just listening to the beginning of No Agenda. They're talking about how I think it's Austin or somewhere in Texas. The guy's saying, wear yeah. it in your home. I, was I mean, what is going other, on? I was at the mall the other day getting new glasses. Yeah. How's that? mine finally broke. Yeah. Yeah, they look good. They have like different. Did you pick di- a new rim? Yeah. Yeah, good. Cheap Looks ones. Good. Oh. They have different uh, directions on the floor oh. and stuff like that. And, oh. and But, I mean, nobody's really giving a fuck. And, you know, like the. Oh, all the kids are like texting or all the like 20 somethings got their head down texting. So they're not watching anything on the floor, but the old dude was getting mad at one kid for going in the wrong direction. I did Aww. see a bit of that. Aww. That was the only incident I seen. Um, so what can you explain to I me? I mean, you know, what was weird is I went to two malls that day because there was a lineup. There's a giant lineup at the, Lens crafters at Marlboro. And the fucking parking lot 
is pandemonium. Like the mall is busier than I have seen the mall in years. I don't even understand it. I'm like, I couldn't find a parking spot. And I spent 10 minutes finding a parking spot. I finally find a parking spot. I go in, there's fucking 10 people lined up at LensCrafters outside the store. And I'm like, okay, fuck that. So I, I went to, oh yeah. And then I asked him, so I guess like 90% of LensCrafters no longer do one hour or same day glasses. Like, yeah, your glasses will be two weeks. I'm like, two weeks? This is fucking crazy. Like, so, oh yeah, if you go to LensCrafters at North Hill Mall there, then... You can maybe get them same day. So I go there and actually North Hill Mall is a fucking wasteland. There's like three stores open in that entire mall, one of which is uh, Lens Crafters. So I went there and she's like, yeah, COVID just wiped this fucking place up. Or no, actually, you know what it was? Is I went there and went, while they were making my glasses, I went and got my hair cut. And I was talking to the barber. And she was like, yeah, the co-. so I didn't have to wear a mask. She had to wear a mask. I did not have to wear a mask which was nice. I have my scarf on just in case. So I got that like scarf I wear on the job sites now because certain job sites, I got to wear a mask. And depending on where it is, I can't wear my, this is bullshit mask at worst. So I just have that little Ellis Dawn scarf. I can just pull that up. But uh, she's like, no, you don't need a mask. Just me. And I was like, how come all the stores are closed? And she's like, well, she's like, did none of them just none. She's like a bunch of them were closed already. And then after COVID, just not even reopened. Oh, it's so sad. There's like three stores in that entire <clears throat> mall that are open. You know, it's a trip. We were at the brick buying uh, bar stools for so that my family has somewhere to sit when we eat. <laughs> and uh, she's saying it's the, they did way better than last year. Their sales are up. I'm like, how is the brick? How is the brick having a, not a record year, but they're having an up year from last year? Well, it's they an, haven't slowed down. Like how? People are stuck at home, so they're buying furniture for the home. I mean, for their stuff, their stuff for the home. I mean, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, there seems to be a bunch of that. Have you seen the meme? I mean, I just i i can't for the i can't for the life of me understand how it's being allowed to get worse and worse and worse. These regulations. I mean, we're losing it. We're losing our freedoms more and more, and the science isn't there to fucking back it up. It's unbelievable. I but like you said, people Friday. are people are scared. People are still scared. Have you seen the meme about the virus particle size? I mean, like you, when you when you fart, how quickly does it yeah, take yeah. to smell your yeah, fart? Yeah. It goes right through your underwear. Have you seen the particle size of a we fucking get COVID you some particle? Saran wrap farting, right? Have saran you seen wrap that underwear? It goes right through the mask. Like, have you seen? It? It's like a the guy. I heard a doctor talking about it. It's like a mosquito going through a chain link fence. I've seen that meme. I've seen tons of those. You know what you should do? You should get a balloon. Blow it up, say it's full of COVID, rob the bank. Just so you pop it, have a pin, have like write COVID on the balloon. And then, and then, I mean, that's just that there's that part of it. Then there's the, the test results from the CDC, cdc.gov, right? But this is right from their own, this is what I don't understand. Who's not, who is not interpreting the official information and the data from the testing? Are you recording? Yeah. Yeah. So a positive test result shows you may have antibodies from an infection with the virus that causes COVID-19. However, there is a chance a positive result means that you have antibodies from an infection with a virus from the same family of viruses called coronaviruses, such as the one that causes the common cold. That one's the worst. So that's from one of the tests. I don't know which no, test that's from, but... 
So right. what I'm starting to wonder, because remember when Gordon White talked about this at the very beginning of this, he's like, well, five to 15% of the people will test positive for coronavirus, a coronavirus, if they have some kind of symptom, some respiratory thing or some cold. Like, do you remember last fall when we were all like talking about how bad those, <clears throat> remember the walking pneumonia or whatever? Like, would we have tested positive for a coronavirus back then? Maybe there's a percentage that are always, eventually? I didn't know my girlfriend did. Oh, they didn't test Maria, you both? Maria did. No. I thought they test you both. No, but, but, but what if, I mean, this is, it's starting to seem like this. What if it's, there's just always going to be a percentage. Like, I don't know if they're testing for this pr proper strain, the strain that came out of Wuhan lab. Are they like this? Obviously this thing I read from the CDC, that test, whatever their test they're talking about, doesn't test for that specific strain. So I don't I think feel they like, got a clue I feel like what they're, the fuck they're doing. I feel like they're just, it's. Well, I think they do. Either they really, they're really inept or they, they're really smart and they have this whole thing planned. And they're like, look, no, if we increase the testing, there's going to be five to 15. Cause I think that 8%, I mean, I think it's around in Alberta, it's about 8% positive results from tests. You're going to always right get that. Are we spiking? The beach was fucking packed yesterday. It was fucking crazy. <laughs> 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 like pandemonium at the beach. It was unbelievable. There was a fire truck going. The, the sirens were going off. I think so. I don't know. There's the new cases. So it's leveled out at the bottom. Oh, you know, I'm good. showing you a graph. It's, it's, it's leveled out to like, you know, a couple hundred cases uh, for a rolling three-day average or something. And that's in Canada. That's in, I think that's for all of Canada. And then look at this graph. I mean, there's, it's, it's it's mind blowing. It's mind boggling. There's a big, big, big thing in March and April, a big, big spike, and then it goes down to the very, very bottom. It's not mind boggling to me. Looks so and like it, and, and you and it's going to get worse, looks right? Like all the graphs in my vaccine books. It does look like all the graphs, and exactly, you know, this is where we started to wear masks. How can eighty days after the thing? I. I see. I, I, I feel like I'm living in a fucking dream or a nightmare. I mean, thank God that we have these communities, like the guy, the people in our chats and the people in the cruising with steak chats and the other podcasters that we listen to and all that. They just nice, don't nice. buy conspiracies either. They're skeptical of the conspiracies. And I mean, half I, the people in our chats are talking about COVID and then it seems like another half of them are just completely oblivious. The nice mix. What do you mean? T-bones out in his kayak. Oh, yeah. COVID yeah, doesn't great. exist oh, yeah. to that no, guy. Exactly. Exactly. It's awesome. <laughs> So Ouch. speaking of conspiracies and all that, I mean, like Ooh, they're not even buying into the Wayfair, right? I mean, it's really interesting to see what's happening with the PSYOP. I mean, I'm Ooh, not. I actually asked. So I asked Natasha yeah. about that this okay. morning yeah. to get like, you know, she's kind of the, the she's very skeptical okay. about most things. Yeah. Does she know about it though? Does she know what's right. going on? And right away she was like, that is fucking sketchy. Yeah. That thing, that seems sketchy. Sketchy as in what? Like they're up to something. Yeah, I know. But then you talk to the people that are into conspiracies. Like I popped in a cruising mistakes chat and they're like, they don't buy it at all. And Alex Jones isn't buying it. Jay Dyer isn't buying it. James true even says, this has got people focusing on this fucking pie in the sky thing about all these, you know, your prana is being siphoned to this electronic conspiracy that's happening in the world. When your kids are about to be mass abused in the fall in September your the real issue is your kids 
millions of kids are going to go to school and have to wear masks and be social distanced and have all this bullshit happening to them. And then, and, and our attention is taken away to some, you know, conspiracy about all these online stores selling humans, but we should talk about it. We have to talk about it because it, it is, well, I don't have theory. I just want to talk to, I don't even know what to believe, but it's interesting no matter which way it's spun. If it's a side, if it's a complete side and this is fake, it's deep, deep fake. I mean, it is some, for somebody to put all this together because they're still coming out with little bits for you to grab onto today. Cause I saw this on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's Sunday night now when we're recording this and there's little bits adding to it. I seen the video of buddy at the night that, uh, Trump won looking fucking devastated. This is the, uh, the boss over at Wayfair. Someone on a phone trying to get him to comment on Hillary losing the election, and he was just like speechless. Oh, really? He's like, I can't, I, I can't even. So that, so let's just let's just summarize it for people because maybe you, and you, it, I mean, you, I'm sure, I'm sure you've been balls deep in it all day. Can I summarize it for you then, or do, yeah, do you know you what's might going well, on? I mean, I've seen that some tweets. I've, no, I've, they're not I've really, searched there's Wayfair. There's nothing on it about so you. I've seen the cal- the calendars, like or the calendars? like the cabinets named like. There's Matilda p- yeah. and Zachariah and blah, blah, blah. So this is the gist of pillows. it, right? There's apparently, yeah, the throw pillows. So apparently it's not just Wayfair, but there's other ones apparently. So I'm not buying into this allegedly. yet, but allegedly it's also Amazon and Etsy even, but they've got these really high priced items, whether it's a throw pillow or a cabinet worth 10. Sometimes there's a double in there worth 20,000, 12,000, 15,000, like very high price stuff. So people started digging into it and they're named when they start to buy, when they go into it, it's named as a, like a, a boy or a girl, not boy or girl, but man or, or female, like names, odd names. Why doesn't Alex Jones just buy one and see what comes? Oh, I don't know if you need a special like sign on or something. I don't know. I mean, cause imagine what they would do if they, then they'd bust Alex Jones. I mean, imagine. <laughs> no. So anyways. Then these, these names are correlated with apparently with missing, missing kids across. Like, so they search the name and then missing kid pops up. But, you know, some people are saying, Hey, they've, they've already, I saw somebody debunking kind of one of them saying, well, you know, they've set up the search to show up like that automatically already. It's kind of not quite what it is. So, and then, so the gist of it is, is you can, you can buy human slaves in Mm. these expensive items. And I heard people talking about, oh, I used to work for one of those guys and they, they did have heavy boxes that were supposed to be delivered ASAP, like really oddly heavy things. Some of the, uh, I saw memes about the, the weight in grams equaling like 77 pounds. I mean, I've seen some of those. I've seen this uh, one of this, this lady that went missing and it had the like. The elevation she went missing at was somehow into the number. Oh my, really? Oh, yeah. see, that's crazy. And then, so then the other thing is, um, so when people get these SKUs and you go into that Russian search thing, yeah. do you know what that's called again? I, I can't remember. Russian Spandex search or something or. Sputnik? No. There's a Rus- Russian like. search engine. I've never, now, I don't know the Russian. Now this, searches. this is the is link. So, so you put this SKU in there, right? From that. And it brings Skew. up, it brings up pictures of. Little boys and girls. So I, it's, so many. I think the gist of it is, is you, you choose one, you get the SKU, you plug it into the search engine 
and it shows you what the what the goods are, right? That would be the gist of it. Trying to get a firm number on how many people go missing in the USA. Yeah, that's it's just a weird that's a weird one. It's so, a hard one to pin yeah. down. Like I said, were we talking about this with somebody yeah. on the show or was it not eight hundred thousand? No, but that's the reports. Yeah. So there's a big difference between reports and missing. I don't like how that gets misconstrued. It 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 just causes a problem, right? And in, in the uh you know, then it looks like that's all fake news when really it's just reports. Somebody should clarify that. How many people end up missing, you know? But YouTube won't touch this, and the response from the mainstream was pretty bad. I assume the, their the official response wasn't going to do anything. Their official response was, "Oh, it's uh, those are accurately priced items, something about that." And then the mainstream says, "Oh, it was a glitch," so they can't even co- corroborate their stories properly. Can't coordinate a response. Well, in some ways, that's good news, but it seems like there's no reporting. I mean, it's a pretty ingenious way to sell humans. I mean, you got to admit, and hidden in plain sight, hey, there's a real expensive thing in here. Click it on, boom, 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 you get that delivered. There's got to be another vetting process, though. Like, what if somebody just does it by accident? And then oh, one of the official responses was, we cancel those expensive items before shipping. And then what? It gets rooted through the special delivery I process? I said the cabinets are worth it. That's what I'm saying. There's a disparity. But somebody said it was a glitch in the mainstream. Uh, the, well, that must, it must be a glitch on the pillows, but not on the cabinets. And then there's pillows. But they so said they were have still you seen gonna, the reviews on the pillows? They said it was a glitch on the pillows, but they're going to take the cabinets down until they can get some better pictures of them. Have you seen the review on the pillows? No. There's like one page, like half a page, one page review on the pillows. I bought these pillows for my private jet, my yacht. They were amazing pillows. And the review goes into all this information. Like you're really spending like three paragraphs on a pillow review. A twelve thousand dollar throw pillow review named named uh, Elisa or whatever must be slaves, right? Slaves for the yacht. Yeah, I mean, how can you really explain big like a whole whack of huge pillow reviews? Do you want me to read a couple of them to you, maybe? Or do you want to, are you, uh, to get into it? Or? Ooh, I feel like that. I almost need a jingle. Graham no jingle. Child trafficking. No jingle. Reviews. No, no, no. <laughs> No, I, mean, I, I honestly, I don't even know if I want to talk about it. Like, I don't want to propagate this if it's wrong, but I also think that what if it's not? Well, let's stop a gate where we are then. Oh, the, it's too, the reviews are too small. I can't really read them. That's all right. We won't put your old no, eyes up it, to So the it says, uh, like, one, oh. of, one of them here says, uh, <clears throat> when my head touched the downright 434 thread count 29 ounce Elisa silk down pillow. That's how it starts. And, and it goes on and on and on. I have experienced Nirvana. I want this review to be in a written contract that I want to be buried with this pillow so that I can have everlasting comfort through death. It's just a great Whoa, pillow. whoa. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? Sounds more likely like a fake review. Four stars because the box had a dent in the corner. How are these Amazon employees handling these boxes? Their boxes. I mean, the kid was trying, had not a corner out. Anyways, I mean, I don't know if these reviews are, they look, it looks real, but I mean, I can't prove that those reviews are real. I mean, I, when I found this on on Friday, I tried to find expensive cabinets and they didn't, they didn't have any. They're already taken down, I guess. Really? Yeah. 
I could just picture you tumbling down the rabbit hole Friday night. And then the green, the Greensboro trailers. I mean, did you see that? So yeah. there's a location, apparently a location of, uh, of, uh, of Wayfair. Did you hey? sleep Friday night? Yeah, 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 dude. Yeah, <laughs> fine. Like a baby. <laughs> no, like what time <laughs> like did you go to bed? Pillow. Uh, I, on Friday? I don't know. Normal time, 11 30. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, the location for storing this stuff in, uh, from Wayfair, there's like a bunch of trailers. There's a there's a, a, a picture of a whole whack of trailers at the location. Like, again, I don't know if it's verified, but this is what people. This is the the spo- the stuff that's being dribbled out over the last three days. Like literally dribbled out. Like trailers, like just a bunch of like uh, sea can, like large forty foot sea can trailers, like just well, stacked. A shipping company. Yeah, but that's yeah exactly. So, <laughs> but there's no warehouse. I guess it's all trailers. It's just a yard with trailers. No warehouse. What do you think's in the trailers? Then there's uh, something that's been debunked, that operations director that's hanging out with Ghislaine. Do you see the picture of them? And they're saying, oh, that's the operation director from Wayfair. And then somebody says, no, it's not. He was. The, this was a long time ago before Wayfair was even a company. The project operation. And then did you know about uh, the Russian search engine is funded by Abramovic? I mean, no. again, that could be, this all could be fake, but <clears throat> if it, if it's not fake and there's these little things, like if Abramovic really did fund the fucking search engine that's using the, has all this database of all this, the SKUs, I mean, come on, it, it's just mind boggling, the connections. Tumbling down the rabbit hole. What does Wayfair stand for? I always thought it was Wayfarer, like Wayfarer, you know, like finding your way, like traveling on a ship, Wayfarer, it's Wayfair, right? It's WAIF. No, it's W-A-Y-F-A-I-R. I know, I know, but WAIF fair, right? Oh, no, if it was WAIF, then it would be WAIF air. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. You can put them both together, right? WAIF fair. So we could just make up whatever, we could just do whatever we want <laughs> <laughs> to get the desired effect. If you say WAIF fair, WAIF fair. It doesn't, you know, it's still, too, it can still be two words. The F is silent on one of them, either at the end of the first or the beginning of the yeah. second. Of course. They're using the F in both words. You're just cutting that F right in half. <clears throat> Have you read the, 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 the definition of it? <laughs> yes. Have you? A homeless child. Yeah. Hey. Malnourished. I mean. So malnourished. Uh, is it just, are they throwing it in your face? I, th- I think the, it's I think unbelievable. A, it also makes like the way fair. Yeah. Yeah. And then fair F A R E. I mean, could be way fair. A H E I R. Yeah. I think the name is a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> Waif. Yeah. I'd leave that. Fair. <laughs> you can't use the F on both. Of course you can. When you say them together, okay. the F disappears. Okay. But then, all right. I think that that trying to to make the name about waifs is 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 hurting the cause. I don't know. I I don't know, dude. It's just muddy in the water. Things. It's. I mean, you know, I got they. I I read this great article talking about about conspiracies and propaganda and all that. How you know they they're throwing the stuff in our face to basically. Basically so that we lose trust in Western civilization and the institutions. Same with 9-11. Same with all this other stuff. They could have hid. 
They could have planted mass weapons. They could have planted weapons for the war in Iraq. They could have done all these things to really hide, but they put these things out there. It's like a, it's a purposeful destruction of our trust in the institutions of Western society. Just like this now, throw another level at it right after Ghislaine gets arrested. There's no zero trust left. Like it's the destruction of Western society. And this is another part of it, right? Amazing. Paulie's taking credit. Of what? Wayfair. Oh boy. Really? Yeah. I haven't seen, there's nothing on YouTube about it. I haven't seen anything on YouTube about it. Nothing's come through my feed at all. I'm sure if I, I can find it if I search long enough, but usually this type of stuff that comes out in the, in the culture war right away shows up on my feed right off the bat. I mean, I'm even a sc- subscribed to wait, amazing Polly and a lot of people that would talk about this. Nothing. I can't but get, it's a, it's I can't a, get anything off of my, my like recommended videos are all unspeakable kids. and kid stuff. Yeah. You know, I give the kids their own YouTube account there to use, but they don't give a fuck. They just use mine anyway. So now I get three pages of kids YouTubers. and So Amazing Polly's what, she pulled a lot of these threads together? Or? I don't know. I just seen her on Twitter because someone was saying that they thought maybe it was because Ghislaine got arrested. Yeah, I was wondering that about that myself. Yeah, I was, was wondering like, about that no, myself. No, it's because yeah. of me. <laughs> so I thought you might know something about that. Not about her, no. I haven't seen her deconstruction huh. of it at all. I mean, I'm I I'm, I'm just leery about the whole thing, you know. What do you want? What do you got next? You want to go to a quote? Yeah, man. I opened up I the book. See, oh, you do have the book. I, I opened up the, the book, book and I found the perfect quote. I opened up the, the page to the perfect quote. quote. Just opened it up there. I did, yeah. And I'm going to get you right. to guess who wrote it. 5.8. <sighs> what? You don't like the 5.8? On your little synchro there? You had a little synchro. I gave you a 5.8. I thought you'd be happy. Never happy. Happy birthday, by the way. Thanks, buddy. I don't have a happy birthday jingle. How does it feel to be a half a century old? It feels like I got a half a century left. That's a good answer. Yeah. Ten at least good. If I can stay, keep my wits together till I'm a hundred, then I'll be happy. Your wits are fucking failing now. I know, <laughs> I know. It's a long, long fifty years. But you know, time goes by quicker as we get older. So it'll be like twenty-five years. <laughs> so you're saying fifties to new seventy-five? This is in the chapter, Empires Crumble, and the Octopus of Global Control. The best way to take over a people and control them utterly is to take a little of their freedom at a time, to erode rights by a thousand tiny and almost imperceptible reductions. In this way, the people will not see those rights and freedoms being removed until past the point at which these changes cannot be reversed. 
I feel like they're kind of moving faster on those rights no, being taken Chomsky. away. I mean, I, I feel like we're at the point now where we've been through the thousand little things and this is the end. This is when you end. have to wear masks at home and kids have to social distance, even though there's a 0% chance of them dying and there's very little chance of asymptomatic spreading. Well, the Alberta it's, school says they will not mandate masks for students or teachers. Fantastic. Are we in the last little I think bubble we're of freedom? To go to the last phase tomorrow, phase three. The beach is fucking packed. I know. Like, I do. I'm telling you. We're, did you drive we might by be the in the beach last. The yeah, I did. I know. Fucking, like, unbelievable. I was like, like what's I going on? I came over the bridge. Or, I was like, what? A, look at all those people. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody with masks. No single Thank mask. God. At least we've got our lovely. This is bullshit mask. I don't know what's happening in the States. America.ca slash swag. Because, you know, obviously they're not looking at other countries. I don't think, I mean, I know a lot of other countries are pushing for masks too, but I don't think a lot of them are doing it and they're not, nobody's, you know, dying. But what I do worry about is that they're going to, something else is going to come in and, and wipe half of us out. Well, I went I mean, to after Hilton. your immunity's had... down, everybody's got no. Now when I have to wear a mask, I have my, this is bullshit mask to wear. So I'm able to do a silent protest without making too much of a scene. Everyone knows exactly how I feel. Yeah. You get yeah. to wear yours yet? No, nope, I haven't had to wear it yet. Yours fits a little wearing... better because you got a wide face. It's tight. It pulls the ears. Yeah. I don't know how people wear these for eight hours a day. I mean, I, it's mind-boggling to me. You You're use... making it all moist, and then it stops working anyways. And you I mean, use a gas mask? I don't want to use any mask. I'm not going to. If I if If the business that I go to... Has an option, right? I won't go to give them my business. If they do have an, if they don't have an option because they're mandated from the silly government, which is just funneling money to all these crazy causes right now, they're getting busted left, right, and center. Nothing's ever happening. Well, yeah, the Canadian federal yeah. government, is. the provincial government, is fucking broke for all intents and purposes. Yeah. We should just come on, Trump. Just take. Alberta. No, 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 no. Let's not yeah. get crazy. Yeah. Just no, no, the U.S. No, 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 no. No, you don't want? No? No. At least they'll I'd buy our oil. Succeed. They'll buy our oil. I'd rather succeed. Just on our own? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Let's not. Yeah, maybe you're right. Join the empire. Yeah. Then we'll just sell them stuff directly. We'll sell everyone stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Let's do that. All right. You run. He'll, Actually, no. Who, who, who said the quote? I said Noam Chomsky. No, it's not Noam Chomsky. Oh. Adolf Hitler. Really? Psychopath. That's, the, that's what it says there. Adolf Hitler, comma, psychopath. Say the quote like Hitler. No. Why not? All right, canceled. You're already canceled, buddy. You're a we podcaster. Can be canceled. I know. You're like as far, <laughs> you're as close to canceled as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready to crack the whip. Go to fully our own servers, like, on a thing. Of course, we do need some support from you guys to help keep that dream alive. The next thing we're going to do is launch the Mastodon stuff, which will be hopefully be able to lure you guys away from Twitter where you can come make some profiles and stuff like that. That We might partner up with a bunch of the union of the unwanted guys and get a bunch of people on there. And so it's not just Grimerica. We'll try and get, you know, whoever. I don't know exactly how the Mastodon works, but we got our buddy I Shaman from Finland a resident Finlander working on it. Of course, he's the one who built up our backup chat server as well. Shout out to him and George, our local guy, who uh, helps with our server infrastructure. We've got the backup chats ready to go. We just got to pull the trigger. 
we don't see a point in pulling the trigger until it's, I guess, until Discord goes down. There's like 800, 900 people in there. Is there, yeah, join the Discord too. It's great. Oh man, I can't keep up on it, but I love all the people in the chats. It's fantastic. America.ca slash chats. Help us uh, keep further investing in infrastructure and fight that COVID churn. Uh, Gramerica.ca slash support if you can, when you can. Sign up for a monthly today. Make a one-time donation. Of course, uh, everybody's favorite interviewer did just, tur- did, did just turn 50. You know what it is? I took a couple aspirin. Oh, really? I haven't taken aspirin in fucking years and years. Are you feeling like... No, but I, you feel I think a little, my speech is... I'm yeah, having you trouble look a little getting bait. my words yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Oh. wow. That's the aspirin, eh? I yeah. had two extra strength aspirin wow. just because my neck was bugging me so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Anyway, support the show. America.ca slash support. We need support because uh, we're trying to do great things here. And uh, unfortunately, in 2020, great things cost a couple of bucks. And uh, we've got all these insane monthly expenses that just keep piling up. But we're blessed to have uh, the stuff we do have and the space we've got and everything we've got because of the support we do get. We love you for it. You get all those extra episodes and the audio books and all that fantastic stuff in the black budget. And, uh, yeah. Scroungers turn 50. Throw him a 50 for his 50th. America.ca slash support. Uh, do we need to get to anything else before we roll out of here? Uh, I don't think so. Um, no, I don't think so. I think that's that's it, really. We got the... Hit the show yeah. notes. We got an extra episode coming up. We got uh, a couple doubles coming up as well. A <laughs> couple swap, swap casts coming up. But we're going to be pushing out uh, an extra one this Friday as well. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. And, uh, yeah, so this show will come up Monday. Another show will come up Friday. I've been talking with Carlwood behind the scenes about Ooh. maybe doing another, some sort of a show with him and Gordon. Oh, wow, and, really? Uh, yeah. So we'll see wow. what happens. Maybe for hit, for yeah. THC, I believe. But we'll see what we happens. we got a swap cast coming up with Ripple Effect, too, and the Grumpy Old Benz. We're trying to schedule one from them. And maybe the Union of Unwanted, if that keeps going uh, in a week or two as well. So lots of shit going on. This, the fun never stops. America.ca slash support. Sign up this week, please. America.ca slash chats. Sign up this week. Uh, sign up for the newsletter. I mean, the newsletter is sort of that last line of defense. If yeah, the chats get exactly, burned or the exactly. RSS feed gets burned, yeah. we've got all this great backup stuff, but the newsletter is where we'll be able to email it like, hey, we got nuked. Here's yeah. all the new information. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good so point. So you definitely yeah. want to be signed up for the newsletter. Uh, you know, tens of thousands of listeners. There's only like less than a thousand people sign up for the newsletter. And I mean, the, what's going to happen now is if we got, if some shit went down, everyone's going to start emailing Graham. Graham's going to get That's okay. 15, Graham and GrahamAmerica.com. G R A H A M. And I'm on, and Graham's on Instagram as well. And Darren's on the Twitter. On the well, Twitter. Well, you're kind of on the Twitter. Get at me. Yeah. 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 And you can at me on Instagram too. Yeah. The, the Twitter is a fucking, <laughs> it does suck your prawn out. Oh my God. Yeah. Even Instagram. I, I t- I'm telling you lately, I it just, it's just so full of maybe because it's the bubble that I've surrounded myself with in this community that it's just, it's just memes of, you know, memes of hypocrisy rampant. And it's just hard to take sometimes. It's like, Oh my God. It's so I, on one hand, I'm super grateful. On the other hand, it's so disappointing to see that the revolution is happening this way. Fuck. We should get you out on a hunt. Imagine if the punk rock bands were singing back in the day. Like, what was that one? Uh, the machine. 
what was that? The uh, rage against the rage for the machine. I mean, when your counterculture revolution is backed by the mainstream media and the corporate big tech companies and all this, it's not really a counterculture revolution, is it? It's is that a hint? Yeah. What would the punk? What, how would the punks be singing about this twenty, thirty years ago? They'd be saying I, "fuck the president." Yeah. But yay, corporations. Nah, they wouldn't. Yeah, they would. I mean, if, if they'd seen this happening. Censor people. Yay. No more free speech. Yay. Yeah. Who's doing that? Oh, Rage is doing oh, it. This is All what the punks would be saying, singing. This is, the cow, this is what's supposed to be happening in our culture right now. This big push against, you know. This revolution. There's got to be some songs. The revolution backed by big tech. Is there any masks? Yeah. And backed by the media. Good job. The revolution is Trump versus. <laughs> the globe. We got the worst revolution ever. It's Trump versus big tech. And fucking <laughs> the corporations. It's just like a couple of fucking. The military industrial <laughs> complex. <laughs> The military-industrial complex versus the corporation versus the rest of the fascists. It's just like, yes, in a vote for total fascist domination. Dun, dun, dun. It's just like, Couched in freedom. All over the place. Yeah. We're losing it little bits at a time. Yeah. We got to get you out on a hunt. Yeah, man, I'd like to do that. Okay, let's do that. I'll do that. All right. Friday, you can sit Next time Maria goes to see her son, and I'll, I'll, I'll come out with you. Is Maria in town now? Yeah. Oh, that's nice. You guys are enjoying the extra space? I love it. Yeah. Absolutely loving it. I can never stay at home back. for two weeks self-isolation. We well, might have to after we go down to the States. <laughs> yeah. After we cross I'll the be, border I can for essential it. travel. I'll give you a grammarical letter. <laughs> <laughs> We better get a letterhead going. Yeah, a letterhead without the derby and the mouth and the moai. Yeah, we'll use a stamp. We'll yeah. use a stamp logo for yeah. the letterhead for official for official business. I can use my Knight of the No Agenda, my Sir Gray of Grimerica stamp from the Knight of No Agenda. I got the wax and everything. Seal the letter? Yeah. You could do that for my letter. Yeah. You're going to write my letter, I'll write your letter. Yeah. Or I must go over the border. <laughs> All right, guys, enjoy the chat with the fabulous Bruce Fenton.
we've got uh, Bruce Fenton back with us. He's a multidisciplinary scientific researcher, author. We've chatted with him before about a couple books. And uh, we got his new one out, Exogenesis, Hybrid Humans, A Scientific History of Extraterrestrial Genetic Manipulation. We're going to try and stay away from current events and focus on this awesome work. So welcome back, Bruce. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll take a break from dealing with everything that's happening pretty much in the world. There's not much good yeah, I can yeah. say about the world. Yeah, let's try and just <laughs> calm down and talk about the you know our history. Well, which is interesting because mm-hmm. history. I mean, I've been learning more about history, like you know, contemporary history, mm-hmm. the last couple hundred years, and I feel like this is all sort of part of the plan. But I mean, how does how does your book kind of fit into mm-hmm. the contemporary narrative? Yeah, well, uh, well, or I think that it? the subject of rewriting history, or you know, reinterpreting history, obviously, is a massive thing right now. And again, that does touch <laughs> on current yeah, events yeah, exactly. without me going you know, too far. So, I, I think, in some respects, it comes back to that idea that he who controls, you know, the narrative of the past controls the future. If you control the present, you control the past. You know, that kind of idea that you know we have to be very careful because history is always going to be a, a, a very selective, selected process because we can't really learn all of it for a start. We can't hope to know even the greater narrative, right? We get these select points that are very important. So what I deal with in my books, I would consider to be some crucial nexus points in the human story, but by no means, you know, they the whole story. Um, but I think that when we're gonna, if we're gonna have a, a kind of, of a rethink of where we're going in the future of humanity, we should also look back again at the past and say, you know, if, if future is dictated by past, like what is our actual past? You know, we're starting to realise we've had a lot of stuff spun to us to control the narrative. Obviously, school selects, you know, the school curriculum selects a particular narrative that suits creating, you know, good little workers for society. So there's a narrative there that's been spun by somebody. Um, society itself is you know there's certain people are chosen to be represented as heroes you know historically worthy and and all of these ideas so again it's always been a case that history has been selectively brought in to create our social reality our norms so from my perspective i'm kind of saying look we need to look really far back look at the start of this human story and, and see really what initiated it and what can that tell us about where we are now what's been going on in the last few centuries or millennia and where we are likely heading into. Now, obviously I will bring that to some more specifics of why I say that, but I, I think that's really what I feel about my work in general, both with this book and the previous works, you know, including Forgotten Exodus um, and Hybrid Humans. I think really, you know, I'm, I'm looking at those points in the distant past, which I think inform us as to who we are, um, what is the Homo sapiens species? You know, what does it include? Which other humans should be in there? I would say Neanderthals, Denisovans, that are all Homo sapiens. Um, so that again is part of a narrative that's been spun to us that these were other, you know, hominins that were kind of really different to us, different species. You know, again, I think that's a narrative that's been spun to us. Also, the idea that we killed them all off, I think, is again these are selective narratives right where we're painted as this crazed killer that emerged from africa right and just is just slaughtering everyone that crossed its path again what does you know what does that do to our our cognitive state of who we are today if we're told that you know we are the great killer you know we killed all the the large mammals we killed them off you know we killed the other humans so i mean i i think there's a lot in our in our selective history story that really needs closer looking and he's rewriting now if we go even further than that we get to what I posit as being 
a ET involved, you know, story that goes right back to the beginnings of this planet. So and I won't go too off without bringing that back to you, but that's kind of what my work I think is about. Yeah, it's great because there's, I, th- I feel like there's two, two points when history is obviously created by the, the winners, but then there's also the almost unintentional disruption of history. Like with your other book, the into Africa, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> the beauty about talking to people like yourself is you've grabbed this, this evidence that's already there that's in the, mm-hmm. in the mainstream academic world and you're putting together yep. the, the puzzles in a different way. So it's almost mm-hmm. like there's also that unintentional where somebody comes up with something and it grabs on, maybe it is intentionally grabbing on to show a different history, but the evidence is right underneath, you know, showing a different story. So is that kind of similar to this one as well? Is mm-hmm. if you go back far enough and get into the genetics, it shows somewhat of a different uh, history? Yeah, it is. I mean, this book is different in that it's a combination of, of, of looking at the existing information that's in academic text, you know, there's a lot of that in there again, uh, but also my own evaluation of the current current events in the ufology, you know, how I see the failure in SETI science, um, why I think science in general has failed with some of these more uh, fringe topics, what's, what the cognitive dissonance problem is, why that's there. So I look at some of that as well. So I mean, some of it's my own analysis of the greater picture um, also involves what I suppose we'd consider, you know, some quite peculiar events that have happened in recent history, you know, including what I consider to be a kind of a contact event with an intelligence and that intelligence providing usable information that has helped inform my research. So there's that aspect to it, which is not like the previous book, which was almost entirely me reevaluating academic papers, um, you know, mainstream studies, news stories, um, and that kind of evidence. Whereas this one, yeah, is a combination of that with some really, I guess you'd say some full-on very strange elements, plus a lot of my own, yeah, my wow. own interpretation, my, my experiences as well. Really? From a greater intelligence? Maybe you can yeah. expand on that a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Sure. Right away. Yeah, I mean, in, in a way, it's a good place to start. What happened was um, there is a artifact in Australia called a Turinga. Now, for people that aren't familiar with, with these, I mean, they're a bit obscure, I suppose, in terms of even those of us that are interested in, you know, ancient global mythology and the esoteric topics and, you know, all of that. Because I hadn't really heard of them until I got involved in this research. Basically, a Turinga is a small tablet-like object that is considered extremely sacred to several... Uh, indigenous Australian groups or populations, uh, particularly the Ararente, in, which is around the Uluru area, central north. But there's, there's several groups within the Ararente language group, and I think some other groups as well that have these. And that their, their own law is that in the beginning time, what some of us in the West now think of as the dream time, because of the way it's been interpreted to us, but essentially the creation time in their view, which they also call the Alcharinga time, right? that there were beings that were here on, on earth that interacted with humans indeed shaped humans shaped various animals modified the landscape that uh, were doing all sorts of incredible things you know these non-human intelligences that were involved in our beginnings of our story now they say that these entities left these objects these chiringas and in fact if you look closer at the law they say that these are living objects that they were almost that the the chiringa beings some of them transport were transformed into forms that would be able to survive the elements you know the test of time, time yeah. and would persist yeah and would be able to persist forward with us so 
you have these objects that are considered to be living beings from the Altringa creation time. Now, that's kind of like, okay, you can say that's quite extraordinary in itself. Now, on top of that, they are considered super sacred. So they're kept away from the general population. Only the, the sort of shamanic elders, these people, the, what they call the clever men, clever fellas, that they would have access to these. They'd normally be kept away, say, in a cave, away from the rest of the people. They'd only be interacted with during particularly important ceremonial times the rest of the time you know nobody else should touch them or come near them and all the rest of it now some of that law is quite should be familiar to listeners because if you think about it it's not unlike the stories of the ark of the covenant and the the tablets of the commandments right which again you have this idea of a non-human intelligence that obviously interacts at the top of the mountain provides this information there's these tablets that are in some respect a direct conduit for the voice of the gods or of God, right? Which say if you put them in the tabernacle or something, it's, it will act as the voice of God. Information is transferred from them. They are super secret, super sacred and secret, are kept away from the general population, can only be handled by the high priests, the initiates, right? Um, now, this is a kind of trend because you can jump across to the Hopi, right? The Hopi talk about some sacred tablets that were left by Pahana, the great white brother from outer space, who leaves these tablets at the end of our era, Pahana will come back with one of these tablets, right? And all this, and there's a whole, there's a whole law to these things. Now, what I said think is that it, it seems awfully funny that connection, right? Now, there's a class of objects that are appearing in more mainstream NASA theorizing on extraterrestrials, and it's something called Bracewell probes, right? Now, a Bracewell probe is an artificial intelligence inside a compact probe that would be launched out into space by an advanced extraterrestrial civilization, and that these would go out and explore the universe. They can also act as sentinels, and there's a particular class called sentinel probes, which would land on, say, an asteroid around a world, you know, monitoring, or land direct, or be left directly on a planetary surface, monitoring events, and then if a civilization rose to a particular level, they could be activated and make direct contact on the behalf of the intelligence that sent them out. Now, again, I, I didn't come up with this. This is a mainstream theory, right? And in fact, in recent months, there's been a number of articles coming out saying that we're going to look for these probes on asteroids in the asteroid belt and around us. Wow. Because they, right? So well, they, we, they we sent them out ourselves, maybe. didn't we? I mean, didn't we send out that, that CD uh, years ago, a couple decades ago, with the imprint of man and woman and all that? Well, you're sending out the, you yeah. could say the uh, the primitive version of yeah, those. Yeah, exactly. Now, obviously, as we get towards artificial intelligence, we will, if every time we upgrade our own computer systems, because we're going to include some of this technology on our probes, so we will get to a stage where we can have AI, maybe not completely hard AI, we'll to see what we get to, but we will start putting artificial intelligence into these probes, right? So if you imagine a civilization that is 100,000 years ahead of us, you know, and what kind of AI they might be able to upload into a probe, right? So you think about that. So we have something incredibly advanced, essentially almost sentient life form, you know, robotic life forms that go out and explore on the behalf of a biological civilization. So they don't have to deal with the difficulties of space and space travel. Now, if you look at that same law that the, the indigenous people are telling us about, it sounds awfully like that they have been left one of these probes or, or many of them. You know, if the Hopi have them, if we say the early you know, Israelites had them, uh, and that these groups in Australia had them, it may well be that a number of these existed and were handed down and have transferred around the world. You know, have been, you know, gone to different groups over time. They've been carried in sacred boxes. They've been hidden in caves and all the rest of it. But that, but if it's true what we're hearing here, that they are left by some kind of 
small g gods or visitors, you know, uh, spirits, whatever we want to give the name to, that it may well be that we do indeed have a number of these Bracewell probes here and that the Turinga that I deal with in this particular book is just one of them. But the interesting thing about this one, of course, is it's acted in exactly the way um, that Bracewell predicted in that says if you get, you know, a civilization reaches a certain level that they can make contact. <laughs> in this case, we have this lady who has an interaction with one of these and it begins projecting information directly into her mind. And again, well, it sounds very woo, but right now in, in MIT and loads of leading, you know, leading edge universities, we have voice to scale technologies being worked on. There's a number of ways you can use these. One of these lasers projecting information into the ear. Uh, microwaves can be used at certain frequencies that will do voice to scale. And in fact, that, that was, that's been known for a few decades now that at the right frequency, you can transfer uh, voice information in directly into the skull. Right. So again, these are not woo-woo fanciful ideas. These are things we understand that you can have. So a probe equipped with an AI that can transfer voice to skull information would be the kind of thing we might expect an advanced intelligence to use. Because if you think about it, what better way to communicate with an alien life form than you can directly hack into its mind? Because that transcends all the needs for language, uh, for understanding the culture. You know, if you can literally just, you have something that can hack into their mind, it doesn't matter what planet you leave it on, right? It's going to be able to communicate, yeah? So this makes a lot of sense. This object then starts to share a whole load of information about a visitation to this planet, uh, a history that we don't know about of interaction, including claims that there was a, you know, a ship that arrived here that was destroyed in orbit, that um, survivors came down, modified early hominins, uh, that there was a whole series of other events, including an asteroid bombardment, loads of you know, major geological events that you should be able to trace you know, in, the, in the geological records but that you wouldn't normally know. I mean, the things that, you know, that it, it, some of these things were quite extraordinary. I mean, I, I hadn't heard of them myself. You know, I went away to validate whether they were real, found they were, and so I was quite shocked that it turned out that what first sounds like a very, just another far out story from the fringe, you know, um, of contacts and, you know, strange messages and all the rest of it, which you know, in terms of the UFO topic and contactee topics, obviously there's, there's hundreds of stories a bit, a bit like that. But what you don't tend to find is actionable information where you can then go and attempt to validate what's being claimed. Usually there's just some strange story, right, that, that the planet Gargalon 7 has this problem and that they live underground and nothing you can validate, right, which I've always thought is a, is a problem. Because if any genuine extraterrestrial intelligence wants to establish communication with us, the first thing you need to do to trust that that is real is some actionable information to validate that firstly exists. Secondly, it has some sort of extraordinary knowledge and something worth even listening to. Uh, no, we've lost you. That you actually in a communication. Sorry. Okay, you're back. Hello? Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so is, I think I might have saw a show about that a few years ago. Are they also responsible for some healing and the people in the village are going to those tablets for healing as well? Is there, or is that something else that might have been a different well, they, artifact? Well, they certainly, I mean, they, they brought out for some ceremonial purposes. I can't say as to whether or not they're used in healing rituals. It may well be. I mean, they certainly, they are linked with the transfer of information down through ages and communication of information. That's primarily what the law says about them, that they, right. you know, they hold information, that they're somehow alive, that they are communicating and, you know, it's very sacred. That's the primary stuff, but there's a, 
a big topic in itself yeah. um, as to the Turinga law. Right. So that, that ship that you mentioned that's crashed, is that the same one that you and Daniela talked about in your other book? Yeah. So okay. this is an expanded research of the same topic, you know, it being so important, you know, at the end of the day, if it's, if it's real, which I contend it is, it's such a massive project that to me to say, I just wrote, you know, re, we do one book, move on, forget about that. And let's go write about Atlantis or so. It, 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 it didn't make sense. So, so this is a, a deeper dive into the same topic okay, okay, yeah. with additional information, updates, you know, more of the genetics and a look at connected, connected information, you know, the, the UFO topic, abductions and other stuff that I know would kind of tie into this. And so I've expanded that research project. So obviously you're familiar with obviously some of the core of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm super disappointed. It's one of my favorite topics and I, I, I haven't read the book. I didn't realize I forgot that Darren sent it to me like a month ago. So I've, I'll have to get to it afterwards. So apologize for that. Okay. Uh, Darren, yeah. do you have any questions about that or where we're starting? No, I like it. I always like this kind of ancient alien stuff. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. So, did you have did you have any experience directly with the tablet, or did you take what she gave you and try and then started looking mm -hmm. at the the actual data from that? Well, I didn't have any experience with it, but I had an experience that was relevant to why I was interested in it in the first place, and that was because way back in that would mean two thousand and three, uh, I had I suppose you call it supernormal or consci altered consciousness type experience, a shamanic journey kind of experience where I kind of, I found myself, I guess, I don't know if you call it time slip or past life memory, whatever you want to call it, but I found myself no longer myself, but I was in the body of this being who was clearly a humanoid extraterrestrial piloting a ship and that I was aware from the mind of that being. Again, you can say it was conjured from your mind, your fantasies or whatever, but this is the experience I had. I was in this ship. I was aware that there had been the destruction of a large craft, that there was you know a lot of, emotions about this you know a feeling of this has just happened and that i was in the ship fleeing from pursuit of some sort uh, i was aware that this being had particularly this blue uniform some type blue uniform on it was very tall but humanoid um and it was a probably i suppose just a, a few maybe a couple of minutes or so it wasn't a very long experience but very intense you know like you were there that you were that being you know fully immersive holographic kind of experience you know if we thought of a full vr wow. type thing right but with some of the memory you know the mind of that being so a full-on kind of experience now that happened to me in 2003 at the time i had no point of reference for that i'd had other extraordinary things happen to me uh, I've, I've had many paranormal and, and odd things happen to me over the years so in that sense it was extraordinary but there was no context so it was just filed away as man that was really weird you know, but hey, what do you do with that? Nothing, right? Because you've got no way to follow up on it. You don't even know, like, if it was real or what it would connect to or anything. When I encountered this particular story, what stood out to me was that, of course, you've got this description of a, of a large ship being destroyed in space, these beings fleeing down towards Earth, um, that indeed is described that many of them are in these tight blue uniforms. You know, there's a lot of emotions because most of them are killed on this main ship. So I'm thinking, hang on a minute. This this doesn't you know, sound like the backstory to this bizarre, you know, altered consciousness, kind of time slip, past life, whatever experience I'd had all those years ago. And that was why this particularly stood out to me as, you know, that I feel that 
there's some connection. There's a reason why I've encountered this. Um, and so then I took it more seriously. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't have published a book on it, you know, unless I could validate that there was more to it. Because, of course, you know, the, there already is a you know a book about it. And Valerie Barrow, who had this experience, she published a book on it, Outringer, when the first ancestors were created. So, I mean, if it was just going to be me repeating what she said, I mean, that would be kind of pointless, right? Because that's already there. Um, and I also don't think there's a point in me publishing a book about I had a weird experience, you know, and it happened to be a bit like someone else's book. Again, that's not really worth doing. Uh, I decided at the outset that, you know, if I could validate some of the core claims in that information, then that would be worth sharing with people. You know, that, that would be suggestive of there was actually a reality to this. And it wasn't just another one of those, you know, strange contactee or UFO stories, um, but something that you could go away and say, well, look, seems like these beings genuinely know things about our ancient history and are attempting to share it with us. And ergo, they are opening a conversation with us. Is this the beginning of a more open phase in contact? In which case, that's huge. Yeah. And so that's the way I looked at it. Yeah. I was able to go away and validate core parts of it. Do you think that connection was a direct, like, past life type thing from from that alien being? Or was it more mm -hmm. of a download type thing that you... I, I, have two, two, I have two views on this. I think that my experience of it and how I feel about it was it being a past life. But if I'm objective and I was to say, if I was to step out there and look at it and say, what else could that be? Then I would say, well, look, you know, if there are interdimensional or transdimensional entities out there, they're interacting with us. Would they have the power to hack into my head and give me that fully immersive experience, even convince me and compel me to think that it was a past life? Then probably yes, right? If we're talking about <laughs> beings that are hundreds of thousands of years ahead of us, we can be careful not to limit them, like in what they can do, right? Um, and again, with some of the abduction experiences, alien abduction experiences that are you know common thing, you know, whether they they are physically taken or not, you know, there's a lot of debate over that. But one of the things that turns up, I talk about this in the book. There was a group of people in Hawaii who claimed to have alien abduction experiences, and they were suffering from. You know illnesses, you know, and they felt related to these experiences. So they were seeing a a you know a doctor or therapist some sort there. He had this equipment, you know, top equipment for scanning the brain to see what was going on. So he took a load of these people. He he scanned them, and what he found was that amongst all of the patients that claimed to have had these abductions and believed that they had implants, he found that in the area of the brain that processes your visual and auditory input, there was some kind of anomalies. Right. In all of these people, there was anomalies in the areas that process your auditory and visual information, i.e. The, the, the main part of your reality. Right. So let's say that there is something hacking into people's brains and feeding in a stream of fake visual and auditory information, i.e. superimposing a reality into you directly into you. Right. How the hell are you going to know whether that's happening to you or not? Right. How the hell? How the hell do you know that that's not your reality and that's not really happening to you? Now, if we're dealing with um, some kind of intelligence that can literally impose a reality over your normal waking world and give you a stream of you know sights, sounds, then we have to be very careful about making assumptions yeah. here. I mean, a part, what seems like a past life experience to me, it may not be, um, but that's how I experienced it. 
Right. Yeah, I mean, it could be even, you know, my lab stuff could be getting to that level, too. I mean, they've been working on this stuff for decades. I mean, you know, 50, 60 years in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, secret technological labs can get you a lot of technology. I mean, maybe they're the ones implanting stuff in there for people to have these abduction experiences. I don't know. You with know some I mean? of those experiences, it can be. I, I think we probably have a mixture yeah. of things happening. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like with the abductions, some have physical elements where people, you know, they wake up in the woods or whatever. You know, they've got like, no clothes on. You know, okay there's something physical happening to that person. Whereas others, you know, they, they're with the partner in bed, you know, and the partner says they never went anywhere, yeah, you know, they were yeah, just here. Yeah. Um, and yet they will say they had a full on abduction or on a ship. And, you know, so some of these seem to be happening in an altered state of consciousness. Um, and it's a fully immersive experience. And I'm not saying that means it's not real. Again, yeah, we have yeah. to start doing, what do we mean by real? Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. Um, but th- they are having something happen to them. And in fact, thousands and thousands of people are having something happen to them, right? Um, much as it gets swept aside, the fact that thousands of people see the same gray aliens or whatever and all on a ship getting their <laughs> eggs taken. I mean, there's a point where you've got to say that, well, that doesn't seem like a normal dream. or yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't mean it's not real. We, it's just that that's a, a very modern Western materialist view would say, well, that's not real because, you know, oh, you were still in your bed. But reality is what's happening in your brain, isn't it? Reality is what's happening in your mind, in, in your cognition, in your, in your perceptions, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's real. It's real. And these people, so these people, they have, most of them have PTSD. That's real, right? Yeah. They're really having PTSD from what happened. Um, so we have to be careful. So I think that it, it, it could be some combination, again, of, you know, of, Memories from past lives it could be a combination of the interactions, information we fed in. Governments could be doing things to us. We could be triggered through media. I mean, we, we do have to be kind of careful with all yeah, these topics that yeah. we not that we don't jump straight to one conclusion. Yeah. That's something I've tried in the book to be objective with with these topics. And I say the with this whole story that you know, yes, it could be past lives, but also yes, it could be DNA memories. You know, yeah. If we've been modified by an extraterrestrial race and our DNA is full of unbelievable amounts of information most of which we don't understand yeah. we, we don't even know what it does you know most of the non-coding dna information we don't know what it is right so if in there that they've encoded information that we're now accessing like could it be that these experiences a lot of these are being unlocked from the dna and that somehow we are now reading information it's it's, it's you know it's operable in our neurology now and it's telling us about being created by aliens and these genetic programs and that people are seeing it and that experiencing it and people feeling that they are these star seeds and reincarnated aliens and that you know is could some of that be to do with something a message encoded in dna yeah right because imagine the ultimate message is one that just activates itself and plays in your brain isn't it rather than you know, that you have to send out beams of radio waves. I mean, if you can leave something like a message in a bottle that the individual can read when they reach a certain level, almost like a biological Bracewell probe. Yeah, right? it could be. I mean, res- you- it could be resonance from uh, the, you know, everything that we're all connected, right? Like Nassim Harriman and the ether and all this. I mean, mm-hmm. if we are connected, maybe you don't even need the probes. Maybe you just need resonance. And that's another thing. Yeah. And there's a couple of other things. You can have the fact that you go, all is one. I mean, that's just true. Right? All is one. So in some respects, you should be able to access information anywhere yeah. from any yeah. time anyway. But, but also you have the Earth's magnetic fields, which record information. And again, as I used to work with a geophysicist who, who um, sort of explained some of this in an article, that, that when you're sleeping, your brain actually goes into harmony with the, the Schumann resonance frequencies of the planet. 
right? You go into kind of, you know, the standing waves that we see in the Schumann, the Schumann um, frequencies and these standing waves that we harmonize with them at night. He said, is there a transfer of information between the geomagnetic fields of the planet and the electromagnetic fields in the brain? Because if there is in some way a storage of information in the fields of the Earth, remember, we used to use magnetic tapes and stuff to record information. We can, you can record information in magnetic fields, right, in magnetic, you know, phenomena. It can record information. If in some respect the planet is holding all of the events that happened and there was a visitation and there was all these things, could we be harmonizing the planet as picking up information? And then you have things like, of course, like the idea of a... Um, a spiritual repository of information. This, um, I'm trying to think records, of the term. The Akashic records. Yeah, the Akashic yeah. records. Yeah. That there is maybe some other dimensional or, you know, subconscious place in which all of this information exists, that we have these 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 um, records, right? Halls of records. So, so we, I'm kind of careful in the book to mention some of these because I think that too often we just go with our favorite thing or what the gut says, right? And this is common to, to academia, to the new age, to a lot of people in ufology and stuff, you know, that people tend towards the option they prefer. But I think the honest perspective is to say first, look, there's six or seven things that could have happened here. My preference is numbers one and three or something like that. And say so probably probably it's number one or whatever. You know, but if you if you if you have not kept you don't be honest first and say, well there are seven options here. Yeah. But straight away you, you know you're risking kind of first of all misleading people uh, and secondly of being kind of intellectually dishonest which has been a problem with all of the history yeah, yeah, of exactly. the story from the first place right so so i mean if we're going to really radically rewrite history and rewrite how we think about our world and about how these things could come about then i think we have to really expand the mind between you know beyond the you know it must be this to look let's be honest if, if aliens are involved in this it could be any of these things you know, if they're really advanced, you know, it can be all these. And then if there really is all these other you know, other dimensions and that the soul is infinite and that we're in a, a connected universe, and that starts giving you a lot more options than just one. Yeah. Have you been following the ET contact movement at all? Have you thought about going out and within groups and making contact and see how that, you know, resonates with your, your research? I mean, that, I just watched that uh, not too long ago, mm -hmm. that Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, which... You know, yeah, it's it's Greer and the C. Seti stuff, but it was pretty it was pretty mind blowing. There was a lot of stuff in there about consciousness and quantum physics, and uh, and a lot of footage from people having those direct experiences, which was pretty fantastic. Mm -hmm. Not not really. I mean, I would go if someone you know said to me, oh, "Look, we're, yeah, going we're going out next week." Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, I would go, but probably off my own back to organize it. No, because I suppose I feel that I've had my fair share of, you know, really extraordinary stuff. And yeah. I think usually when people are going out to do that is because they, they want that something of the other, you know, an experience of the other in the same way that, you know, if you went to meditate for a month up in a mountain, because you want to, you know, you want to have that experience where you contacted something else or you went into yourself and learned. But if you've had a smorgasbord of high strangeness in your life already, <laughs> such as you think, well, am I just provoking problems here? Yeah. You know, maybe have a little break, you know, have some family time, you know, don't, don't ask for more aliens and more spookiness, you know, that, um, so for me, I, I guess, yeah, it's different. I can totally understand why people go, but, um, like my wife, obviously she's a, a shamanic healer, psychic medium. So we have a constant flow of weird stuff <laughs> going on here all the time. I mean, no, like, I totally get day, that. I totally get that. Some light flying yeah. around in the living room a few days ago, right? 
my wife said there's a guy in the bathroom with a hat, some, some guy up in the bathroom that she can see. I mean, there's a point where you think, do I need to go to the CE5 as well? Or, you know, just no, no, it's, I, that's the truth. And also, I think if we've got this information, if it's true, right, then what I need to focus on is what I've already got and not necessarily ask for more and more yeah, of it. Yeah, 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 for sure. What's the good of it? If nobody accepts it when you validate it, what's the good of getting more of it? Yeah, right? no, that's a good point. So, I mean, let's get to that validation. So you must have got like, so back, what, 800,000 years ago or something when this thing apparently yeah. happened. So were you digging digging into the sort of the genetics of this? And did you find any correlations that you can talk about? Yeah. That Well, yeah. And the thing is, first of all, there is a mystery already in the academic records, right? They knew that going back 800,000 years ago-ish, uh, that the human skull basically started to expand. You know, you get this rapid increase in cranial capacity, uh, some other changes in the inner surface of the skull and stuff suggesting, you know, there's radical brain changes are underway. Now, this accelerates massively all the way up to modern humans. Uh, and there was, there's never been an explanation for it. It was considered mysterious. You know, they had all these ancient skulls, you know, suddenly they just go into this overdrive, right? Now, what we didn't have, of course, decades ago was genetic sciences well let's let's back up let's back up a sec for for what was what was supposed to be there eight hundred thousand years ago as far as humans go because i I always get that timeline mixed up with with hominids and what and what what was what's supposed to be there the main human type around is the homo erectus um but we now know that there were probably also some diminutive hobbit-like hominids up in in Indonesia, right? So the story has changed. So it seems like there's probably at least a couple of others that we have throughout the Southeast Asian islands. We have the ancestors of the Hobbit, the Homo floriensis, yep. and possibly ancestors of, of Homo, um, oh, it's another one, it's an L, I've forgotten that they found on another island up there. So we probably have some of these very small Hobbit-like creatures, which they, they suspect have evolved from an early population of or the, um, either like a Homo habilis type or more likely an Australopithecine, which were the considered to be the precursors to the Homo genus. Now, if the Australopithecines were out and about across the world over well over a million years ago, they, they could have been there millions of years. Yeah. Because one of the things they found up in India, they found some signs of, and I think also in the Middle East, some signs of a hominin that may have been around about two million plus years ago uh, out in that region. So it may well be this whole underlying story of who was the first hominins that were global yeah. also needs to change. Because yeah. that's long been thought to be Homo erectus, that they went out from Africa, supposedly, about 1.8 to 2 million years ago. And they're found in Georgia, up in the Caucasus. Uh, then down, they're also found in Southeast Asia, Indonesia, around about the same time, 1.7 million years ago, 1.8 million years ago. Um, they seem to appear fairly widespread around 1.8 to 2 million years ago between Africa, Central, you know, Central Eurasia and right down to Southeast Asia, but now, yeah, we we can't be sure, sure whether or not they were alone now. But what those about are the main groups. What about giants? Any any word on them? So there's legends of giants. Well, the only time I can say giants really crop up in terms when we look at these early hominins is you find that down in South Africa, around about I think it's about four hundred thousand years ago, there's a period where Homo hydabagensis, who seems to have evolved from Homo erectus, they had a period of several thousands of years where they were routinely over two meters tall. Huh. And, and that has made me wonder whether these giant stories connect to a surviving population of Homo, you know, Hydrogensis, possibly, that were ranging the world. Um, but also we know, of course, that 
modern humans, we do range up to beyond two meters tall. So, I mean, could you have a population which maybe through interbreeding, you know, limited interbreeding, ended up with this trait of being incredibly tall? I mean, that's, yeah. either of those options are possible. But certainly, if you think it's funny that, you know, the stories of little people and giants, and now we know the little people were absolutely real, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That they were, you know, and also we could find pygmy people right across Africa and in South America. Um, you know, so again, so these stories have a basis. Yeah, so yeah. the giant story is likely to also have, you know, a real basis. We know that there were humans over two meters tall. So all of these stories that have persisted and that are global we should, I think we should err on the side of them being true, you know, in some sense. That doesn't mean that it's Jack and the Beanstalk, yeah, yeah. yeah no, you know what I mean? No, I don't mean you know, Jack and the Beanstalk kind of giants where they're like, I don't know, ridiculously big and people climbing up to the giant world. I think that's going more into shamanic stuff, um, going into other worlds and seeing giant beings. But I, I think when we talk about two to three meters tall, you know, that's beings that are within the possibilities, right, of yeah. genetic variants. Yeah, yeah, good point. Okay, so then I kind of interrupted you where you're getting into the genetic aspect of that, that time frame. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say, yeah, so really, with, with Homo erectus and these florences, you've got small skulls, right? So you're talking about, I think, the largest skulls found, going back 800,000 years ago, is something around 900 to 1,000 cc's. So we go up to, in our range now, we're like 1,600 to 1,800 or something like that. Right. So your mic, so, your big... mic's starting to uh, crackle a little bit. I don't know if. Uh, uh, sorry, you know, I don't know. Yeah, if it's... no, I don't know if it's. Is that all right? Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Yeah. Just tap, so... tap it and it goes away. Eh? So it definitely, yeah, definitely, it's definitely the case that there's a big expansion occurs after that time. And before that, I should say as well that they're not doing a lot of Homo erectus. They really, for about a million years, barely changed the kind of stone tools that they used. We don't think that they spoke. I think that they communicated, though. I don't think that you could uh, end up with them sailing across to Flores in Southeast Asia, crossing, you know, large bodies of water without communicating. Because, like, how do you convince anyone to follow you out into the ocean, right, on some, let's assume, like, some sort of basic raft? Like, why would you follow someone doing that? It just looks suicidal. So they would have to be able to communicate and say, you know, like, we're going to an island. So they, I, I think they probably had a hand gestures, clicks, whistles, animal noises, and a structured communication system, but not full language with, you know, words. And so we don't even know if they could vocalize in the way that we can, because we have specific anatomy in the throat and things that allow us to do that. And we don't know that they had it, but they could well have had clicks, whistles, hand gestures, enough that you could kind of say, you know, we're going, you know, we're going there, there's food there or something, basic communications through these these gestures and stuff, right? So they could do that, but they they didn't really achieve an awful lot in there in that period up to eight hundred thousand years ago for a million years. Beyond the getting across to Flores, that would be the, the biggest indicator that they could really strategize and they could cobble a raft together. You know, then after that, we really go down a, a path of lightning de like development after that. Interesting. And then. Yeah, that's interesting. So is that when the first Homo sapiens come out then? Yeah, that's that's my perspective. Now, if you were to go to the mainstream, the mainstream is slowly, slowly catching up with this idea. Uh, I don't mean that to be too condescending, but slowly, this, the mainstream is slowly catching up with the idea. So what they have said is, you know, until a few years back, people generally were saying Homo sapiens appeared something like 300,000 years ago. 
right? Uh, and then it slid back a bit, 400,000. They said, we've separated from Neanderthals probably four or ish, sort of 400,000 years ago. And then what happened was they found um, a set of, rem- well, a large set of remains in Spain at a place called Cima de los Huesos, the pit of bones. Um, and from there, they got DNA samples of hominins from 430,000 years ago. Uh, it turned out that they were a Neanderthal ancestor who was quite far down the lineage of Neanderthals, which meant that they had to push these dates way back to get to when we'd split, right? And so that that pushed it all the way back to towards now. They're saying about, depending on what you look at, 550 to 750, or if you look at other different groups, they're saying sort of 750 to 900, there's different camps. But you're really getting back towards the 700,000-ish years ago for the split of Denisovans, Neanderthals, and the lineage leading to modern humans. So that's really recent. And then, so now they're still saying, well, well, Homo sapiens, you know, we don't appear to, you know, 500,000 or so. But in Africa, well, when they look in Africa, they're looking for our ancestors, right? When was the first Homo sapiens? And, and now they've got to this kind of point where they're saying, well, we fought 400 and 500. And now they think, well, actually, there's probably all sorts of different hominins that are ancestral to us and that they're spread around. And we get a little bit from one here, one there, and which I sort of agree with. They said, I think this artificial limitation to Africa, I don't agree with. I think that what we have instead is that Homo sapiens is marked by the emergence of this large brain. And ergo, that all large brained hominins that follow are Homo sapiens, which means Neanderthals, Denisovans, and us, and many others that we don't have names for, would be under that thinking man, wise man, Homo sapien. If it's about the brain and it's about these abilities to do things like construct complex tools, make fires, you know, weave clothes, and all the rest of it, all Neanderthals, Denisovans, that's got to all do that. So why are they not Homo sapiens? We can breed with them all. They've now, in the last few weeks, an article came out saying that we were closer related to them than than the brown bears and the yeti. Sorry, yetis, <laughs> polar bears. Yetis probably a bit more distant. But they, you know, we've known for a long time that grizzlies and brown bears and stuff can mate with um, polar bears and have fertile offspring, right? So it turns out that Neanderthals and us we're closer than that, closer than those two bears that have easily have offspring that are fertile. So hang on a minute. Does that sound like a separate species to you at this point? So they can do everything that we can do. And we mated with them and had fertile children. <laughs> what, the, what kind of other species is this exactly? Right. So the reality is that all of these are homo sapiens, that we have a kind of weird prejudice about it. But these are these are true races. Right? These are real races, not like how we have now social construct races based on really fluid characteristics that are not stable. So would it right. be more but, like if you took those social con- socially constructed races and sort of just kept them all separate for, you know, 50 or 100,000 years, that's when you start to evolve into different things? I could say a Denisovian and a Neanderthal. And, uh, I, I think a couple of hundred thousand years or so, you probably start to get enough. Well, the other thing is, look, it's, it's not just that. There's one of the things that Neanderthals, when you look at the Neanderthals, they have different morphology. Right? They are stockier, you know, famously stockier. They've got the big brow ridges. Um, they're more robust, right? They were considered to be stronger than us. But the funny thing about that is, it turns out that if you compare Neanderthals and us, but you also look at look at animals in the world that are the, the feral populations versus the tamed populations, Right, so you look at whether you know dogs, pigs, sheep, cows. 
whatever. What they found is that the, some of the same genes that are differentiated in in our tamed population of animals and the wild variants are the same as you find in the differences between Neanderthals and us. So what I think we're looking at really is wild modern humans, if you like, and tamed modern humans. If you were to put us out into a, a widespread disparate groups, living as like hunter-gatherers out in the forests, right, in these fractured groups, dealing with nature head-on, right, uh, for, a, for a, let's say, I don't know, a few tens of thousands of years, we will become more robust through epigenetics, right? We will start to be in feed, genetic feedback loops with our environment. We will start to become hardier, more robust people. Now, if you look at some of the indigenous people of Australia who continued to live in that way, a lot of them have more robust features, right? Not everyone, but a lot of them do. They have bigger brow ridges, wider noses, more stockier builds, right? So this is because if modern humans live as hunter-gatherers, they have a closer look, you know, more of a look towards the Neanderthals and towards Homo erectus. In fact, there was there was skeletons that were found at Cow Swamp in Australia, a whole set of skeletons. And at first, people thought they were Homo erectus because the morphology was so robust. And he took, you know, in the end, they went through and they found the traits were all just within the range that we consider modern human. But they were very robust. And there's another, there's a skull that's called WH, WLH50, also in Australia, which, um, whereas most human skulls have uh, a thickness of about five millimeters or something like this, this one had a thickness of something like, um, I'm trying to think it was like 20 or 30 or something. It was like a motorbike helmet. Right, versus what we have, like a motorbike. You know, if you'd punched this guy in the head, you just broke your hands. You know what I mean? Um, that this kind of morphology exists within the range for modern humans as well. So I think the Neanderthal is is less about just it being separate, but it's how it lived. They know they, know they didn't live in these big population groups like we have. That They lived in small, isolated family groups that every now and again would have maybe brushed up against each other and and didn't go into this kind of more st- you know stationary sedentary populous civilized kind of way that we think of basically we self-tamed to a degree and i don't think we completely self-tamed i think that we had some help in the beginning that's what they i was going to ask you is was the taming natural evolution or was it et intervention n- no other animal we know of is self-tamed Think about that. So we know that humans are tame. We know that they self-tame, but we know that no animal on our planet ever has self-tamed other than us. So, so how does that start? Huh. And that's, that's another clue to what's wrong in our story because there's a lot of these things where you, you think, well, hang on a minute. Yeah, you know, they're saying that all of like, these traits, these gracile traits and stuff are to do with us being tame and that, you know, we look at the animals being feral and stuff. But even the Neanderthals, again, if you go to start this story, one of the reasons why we are so gracile and all the rest of it, and that even Neanderthals, who I think have some of these traits that are more uh, wild, I still think that they are partially tamed. Because I think that at the beginning of our story, 800,000 years ago, there is a helping hand. I don't just think it. I, I'm confident there's a helping hand. And another angle to why we know this is the taming of humans. Because who the hell is taming us? How does it start? How do we end up going down this route of being the only species on this planet that is domesticated and self-domesticates and then goes on to domesticate other animals, right? Unless someone has first began that process. Jesus? Hmm? Jesus? Uh, Well, 
I guess you could say Stone Age Jesus, though. It'd have to be, wouldn't it? Stone Age Jesus. He could have come that before. Was his I mean, he could have come before. But, I mean, I, again, so that's part of it. So, yeah, I think that it's a more complex story. I think that we really have to rethink a lot of this. So I don't think Neanderthals were – we look at how different a Neanderthal looks. It's easy to think, oh, it's a different species. But if you start to think about, yeah, how we react living feral – and epigenetics and the way that you know the dna can reprogram based on direct experiences in a single lifetime and become hereditary we and looking at how we've shaped other species through taming and, and how different they become then you do start to realize actually you can make a pop <laughs> look at well, look at the dogs and the wolves look what we did to the wolves i mean you would look if you were visiting as an alien being and then you saw a wolf and you saw someone's chihuahua i mean you would assume they were different species right you just naturally would assume you'd be like these are totally different species but it's not it's not the case so much you know we have bred them like that you know we've made them become like that through what we've done in a fairly short period of time you know from a very wild dog almost a wolf-like dog we have bred it down to the chihuahua in in a few tens of thousands of years so that's quite extraordinary so it doesn't necessarily take hundreds of thousands of years for populations of humans to become what we would look at and think of as being, well, that's an entirely different race or even a different species or subspecies, right? Um, so we're starting to like a few weeks. Hmm? In a I few can't weeks. Pigs do it in like three months or something like that. Like if you domesticate uh, a wild they can pig. revert. Yeah. So they can revert to being like more like boars, isn't it? Quite quickly. Yeah. Like real quick, like less than a yeah. year, I think. Mm-hmm. We should dump, dump some gram out in the wild and see how long it takes for him to go back into a Neanderthal. <laughs> so you just leave someone. You got to leave them isolated long enough and just prodding them, scaring them, get them to face the wild, you know, head on. Shouldn't we have some examples of that though? Well, we have some of these feral people. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, then they'd have to have children that were also feral. It had to it had to carry on you know, over generations. So they usually have, you find these feral people, but then. There was another thing about feral people, actually, that's interesting. This is another thing that points to some kind of strange interactions. That to be able to have recursive language right, and the ability that we can talk about events separated in space and time, particularly events that flow on. Like, you know, I can say to you, let's go and meet down by the big rock, you know, when the night falls, and then we'll, get, we'll make a fishing rod, we'll fish, and then we'll come back and cook on the fire over there. But we take that for granted that we can do that. No other animal on this planet that we know of can do anything like that. As far as we know, that they cannot process in that way. And indeed, we couldn't do that either until about 70,000 years ago, that we did not have the part of the brain that allows us to have recursive thinking and recursive language, that you could only have dealt with kind of what was there. Like, you know, we would eat that fish there. You know, you could, you could tackle. But when you start dealing with the, and then we'll go and do this, and we'll be either rock and that we couldn't hold concepts in that way, separated by space and time, and communicate them. We couldn't. We take that totally for granted, but we couldn't do that, they think, about, until about 70,000 years ago. Now, there's a, real, there's a real problem with it, because it turns out that to have recursive language, you had to, first of all, we needed a, a genetic change that modified part of the frontal cortex, right, that allows us to have this. But secondly, you have to be exposed to recursive language during the first few years of life. Otherwise, it doesn't form. This, you just can't have it. And that's with feral people. They never fully recover from being feral. They cannot get recursive language back fully. 
Right? These people never, ever become just normal, regular people. It's impossible. Right? So now you have a problem there. Because <clears throat> first of all, okay, you've got this leap. How does it happen, this genetic leap? Okay, maybe just through luck. But it's, it's um, recessive. So if you don't make any use of it, it will disappear. So for it to persist, it has to become very quickly useful. And yet there's nobody around that can make any use of it because nobody has recursive thinking and language. So, so you have to be exposed to it and nobody else is using it. So how, you, how have you got it? That's a hard barrier. It's a very hard barrier because now it doesn't matter that you've got the mutation because your parents haven't got recursive language. Nobody in your community has got it. And you have to be exposed to it between sort of one and five. Otherwise, you, you, won't, you lose that ability. And yet here we all are talking and using recursive language. Now, in the paper that came out recently about that, they, they said, well, maybe somehow uh, two children had this mutation at the same time and they knew each other and somehow they, they fought up this language together and did it. But I was like, hang on a minute. How... Me? Yeah, it, it completely muted. Oh, now you're back. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Did you get to where um, <clears throat> the two kids, uh, the, the two kids, uh, communicating yeah. back and forth? Yeah. And that doesn't make sense because then again, this still doesn't get over the problem that they have to be exposed to it. We can't just say they come up with it. Come up from it with where? From yeah. where? Yeah. How? Yeah. Right. So this is a hard barrier that suggests someone else oh. is there yeah, yeah. teaching. Right. Teaching and, and them. When this do you think, and when do you think that happened? That is that that? about seventy. Around 70,000 years ago, the beginning of the behavioral revolution. So do you think that was another intervention like that has been going on through like started at 800,000, started Mm -hmm. growing our brains or whatever other changes there was. And then, and then training us, training us, modifying us, you know, that you have all these indications at different points along that, that speak of a process, right? So 800,000 years ago, you see Genetic changes like chromos- the fusion of chromosome 2 happens around that, 780,000 years ago, right? You have a fusion of chromosome 2, which fuses on an active gene for the brain, the reproductive system, the immune system, areas you'd want to get at. At the, at the fusion point, there is additions and deletions of information. It's not a, just a straight fusion. There, there's changes at the fusion point. Wow. Um, a chemical analysis suggests this happened about around about 750 or so thousand years ago but we we know that it has to have happened at the beginning of the divergence of neanderthals denisovans and us because they all have it so in other words it's happening right on this moment when we start before we start splitting and we all get the big brains right so at that moment there's also other changes you know we have now they're talking in fact the last few weeks a couple of weeks ago paper came out that um talks about one of the genes i, I mentioned in the book r gap um to be i think it's and they'll, you'll look, you'll find that they've, they say that this particular gene gives us the folds in the neocortex and like really crucial stuff, the enlarging of the brain. They, they, they tested it in um, a monkey. They added this gene into a monkey recently, very recently. This is funny. Some of this stuff's happening. That's why I write a book. Stuff happens, which is to do with it. <laughs> it's happened with the last book. Yeah. yeah, it's really weird. Loads of stuff Very timely, that, yeah. Yeah, straight after. Right, so turns out they've tested this gene in a monkey and its brain swole up and had all these start get the folds and stuff right so they know the brain it does that now this is one of the genes i point out in the book that's particularly weird because i I think it's the one that they said appeared fully formed out of non-coding dna i just appeared like 
that's interesting, isn't it? It just appears out of non-coding DNA, and it happens to give us the neocortex and the folds in the brain, all these crucial when, when areas. When was that one? Same thing, 750? or they, I put it as then because we know that the brain expands at that time, but they put it in their dating. It was interesting. They came out with a date. They said that from what they can tell, they haven't pinpointed, but they said somewhere between 1.5 million and 500,000. And so nicely in there is my 780, right? Uh, and the fact is we know from the fossil record that the brain expansion begins at around 800,000 years. So if you're looking for a point where that gene has become active, you look at the point where the brain suddenly swells up, right? So what's the bet that it happens at 800,000? Because we can see the skulls, that they start swelling up. So we've got the fusion of chromosome 2. We've got anomalous genes that appear fully formed out of nowhere that give us a larger brain. Uh, we also now have the beginning of domestication of our species, which never has ever happened before for any animal by natural means. And then as we go further along this timeline, so say we find other points, like 200,000 years ago, there's a strange um, <coughs> cut off to the and they're part of our mitochondrial DNA, basically seems to only trace back to around about 150 to 200,000 years ago. Now, the scientists who wrote about this said that they don't know what happened. Maybe there was some cataclysm or something, but it's almost like there's a total renewal. Um, and then we have, again, this at 70,000 years ago, this recursive language appearing, right, with, with all the changes, the cognitive changes come with that. So I, I think that we have different points along the timeline, but I pay particular focus on 780,000 years ago in the book not because it's the only time, but because it's the point with the most surrounding evidence. But I, I think this is an ongoing process from long before that to today. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder when, uh, I mean, it really feels like the 70,000 years ago matches with like Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson, all these people saying about these megalithic societies that were like Atlantis mm -hmm. or whatever, that was before that ice age, which was what, 50, 40, 40, 50,000 years ago, like that, that, you know, there was a few thousand years where they were building stuff that's lasted through the ice age. Now that we're thinking, mm -hmm. you know, goes back there. I feel like that was, that could fit with, within that last little leap. Which would make the sense yeah. of why we just started getting like, you know, we went from like rocks to cell phones and like, a few thousand years or a few tens of thousands. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the interesting things about this is that, you know, if you think that if we, if assuming that nobody had recursive language and recursive thinking before 70,000 years ago, it does in one respect limit some of the claims that we hear made that, that potentially, you know, humans could have had advanced civilizations hundreds of thousands of yeah, years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's Because yeah. If, if we couldn't think in that way, there's no way we could have. Right. There's no way we we could have done basic things, you know, maybe made some better stone tools. I mean, but it's with that recursive language that we see the behavior, what they call it, the behavioral and cultural kind of revolution. Suddenly we are just going overdrive, creating yeah. all sorts of new things. We're exploring the world. We get the whole recolonization of Eurasia, spreading of rock art, the first symbolic language, I'd say symbolic languages like with spirals and asterisks and all sorts of stuff carved into rock faces and caves and so there's a, there's this really a cognitive explosion from around 70,000 years ago so it, one of the things it does for me is makes it very dubious the idea that there were modern humans or homo sapiens of some sort that had a technological civilization any earlier than 70,000 years unless it was ago. unless it was quite a bit earlier and it's already collapsed multiple times i mean there is that chance that we've cycled well, through, we've sapiens. cycled through that 
something like uh, look, yeah. again, if they didn't have if they didn't have recursive language you know how, right, how could right, they do right. any of that yeah. i just yeah so if we literally as a species so unless there's another species that is not homo sapiens that was living yeah, alongside yeah, us yeah. it might have looked a bit like like uh, uh, us in some respect or it's an alien civilization right you know yeah. it's just not tall human yeah. that's living alongside us and has these wonderful civilizations that we interacted with right that's possible but i think unless we can if we don't have the genetic Change, the genetic changes that gave us that part of the brain that allow recursive language to me these are kind of hard barriers so again that that removes a lot of claims that we get in the fringe to me you know again i i try and work with the science that's there right yeah i try to be fairly intellectually honest about stuff so i would have in the past i'd been open to believe that there were human civilizations <laughs> 200,000 years ago because you think well there was you know, Homo sapiens were around then, but once you think, well, if they didn't have recursive language and they couldn't think in these abstract ways, that's how we have everything, you know, yeah. really. So, I mean, you can't have a concept where like, we'll meet next week and we'll build this thing and, and abstract, again, art, all of that has come out of that because you can, you can hold in your mind a building that you're going to build that doesn't exist that you're going to do in the future. You couldn't do that otherwise. You wouldn't and be able to do it. And that's why art appears at that yeah, time. Yeah, unless there was te te telepathy or unless we were, you know, they were they were more advanced than we feel like they were. They weren't just, you know, cavemen kind of things, but they were actually more advanced. Maybe talking through, you know, through the ether well, or through telepathy or through it's still, plants. Though, or still, knows, you haven't got that part of the yeah. brain that gives you recursive thinking. Yeah. Yeah, How'd you yeah, do it? Yeah, yeah. So that's what I mean. It's, it's not yeah. there. You can do a lot of other stuff, but all of that kind of conceptualizing. We could have lived probably in a more harmonious, spiritual, you know, at one with each other, at one with the environment. But I don't not think we not could have though, yeah. Not yeah. cars and rocket yeah. ships and stuff, no. Yeah. That we might have been living, it might be nicer. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they were necessarily better, better off than them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's something yeah. we put over that. We have this idea that we are now the pinnacle and we're better. Um, but, I mean, we might have been a darn sight happier not having because you're thinking and just being in telepathy and at one and like the other animals, right? Yeah. Who's to say? Um, but I think, yeah, that this story really goes into overdrive around 70,000 years ago, which funny enough times with the cataclysm, there's a kind of a rewrite of the planet. We have Lake Toba. We have a giant rock shelf that collapses off the coast of Africa, all sorts of stuff going on, which I suspect is to do with an actual pole shift personally, uh, that I think that Lake Toba and these other events are caused by, a shift of the axis of the planet. When when's so, the next one coming? Any any time. Well, any time. I'd say any time. Yeah, any time. Um, there's been a few strange things that happened in the last few years that maybe ponder that maybe there's something like that coming. But um, definitely, there's a massive die-off. You know, there's a, there's a, a, a big die-off. And then what we have out of the results of the cataclysm seventy thousand years ago is really modern humans. What we think of as totally, totally modern humans, behaviorally, culturally, anatomically modern humans, you'll be hard-pressed to prove to me that they existed before 70,000 years ago, right? Because if you really think of totally culturally, behaviorally, anatomically modern humans, they only seem to appear after 70,000 years ago. And the funny thing is, if you think about it, so we have all these lines of, of homo sapiens, you know, large-brained humans before that. But what I, what I posit happened is after the cataclysm, they are, the survivors are pushed together and interbreeding, and they, they mix. And what we end right, up with is a right. high population. Yeah, yeah. So modern humans are the remnants of all those who survived. Right. And a lot didn't survive, because you, if you were in the wrong place, you just most of them were killed off. Lake Toba's um, explosion, 
the the fallout, the clouds, the dust, mostly wrapped around the northern hemisphere. So they were dev- it was devastating to the northern hemisphere, Eurasia, and you know above. Whereas south of the equator, it didn't have a big effect. So down in South Africa, where there was a lot of, lot of human populations, and down in Australasia and parts of Indone- the Indonesian islands now, um, basically humans were okay there. And the funny thing is, if you look, and I'll give you an example, this is something people can look for themselves. Now, if you imagine you've got this devastating event, so people are fleeing it, a lot of them are going to be clustered in those survival zones like South Africa and Australia and the eastern islands of island Southeast Asia. Okay, we'll go right to the east of there, go to um, Papua, uh, and what you find, one of those extraordinary things about Papua, apart from the fact that the people there have already been identified as having at least two or three types of Denisovan DNA in their genome, unlike anywhere else in the world, right? you also find that they have the, 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 the hugest clustering of languages in the world. I think it was like 600 different languages or something, some crazy amount, 600 and something different languages. The most separate you know, language groups as well, not just slightly different, but entirely different language isolates that have nothing to do with each other. Clustered in this one area, hundreds of languages. What does that start sounding like to you, right? So you've got they've got all these different genetic streams in them. They've got all these languages, unnecessarily so for one island. An unbelievable amount of languages. Doesn't that sound like a load of people being forced to a survival yeah. zone? Yeah, they all right? come from other places. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. You've had this massive event, a cataclysm. These people being pushed to the few areas which are not badly affected, and as if you look to Papua, you find the remnants of the Denisovans, remnants of some of the Neanderthals, remnants of the other humans, probably remnants of the little people yeah. that were on the islands. They've all been forced to to Papua, and in fact, there's a breeding taboo assumed that comes about about 50,000 years ago because we know that the people of of northern Sahul, Papua and northeast Australia are, are genetically very divergent to the people to the south and that that split begins over 40,000 years ago when there was no water separating them right what the hell's going on there that so you've got a deep genetic split between them right and one of the things we know today is that amongst the people in that landmass there are interbreeding tab- taboos but you cannot be certain groups. You can't marry certain people. Very intense taboos. Now, it looks like they said you cannot mix with those people up there. They're not like us. They're not like us. And it turns out they're not, right? Because they've got all Denisovan and all these other things in them. So maybe back then they visually looked quite different or they knew, right? They knew the story. These people have come from up up there from these other lands you know and they they're not us they're another lot like we keep ourselves to ourselves they keep themselves themselves right so these all again fit with distinct populations that the people to the south are like no that's they're not you know they're not our mob right so there's a lot of evidence pointing towards that and again this is all post seventy thousand years ago and then around about fifty five thousand, you know from my other book i talk about this around fifty five thousand years ago there is a a movement back into Eurasia, which is the expansion into Eurasia, which has been so far been mis- misinterpreted as an expansion out of Africa, but it's clearly not. And that these people go back up into the north. Now, one of the things that made me think of recently is that, well, did they have a legend, right, that they knew they came from northern lands that had been destroyed? So one day, some of them went back. Yeah. And that's why they leave that area, because they know there's a land to the north. It's been passed down generation to generation. We're not from here. That there's another land that used to be bountiful up to the north. Yeah. And so at some point, they move back out there and they start expanding. Some of them go back. And that's why we have the beginning of the expansion. Again, 
totally logical if you yeah. if you look at this idea there's been a disaster you've been forced this way but one day we'll go home so you know generations let you do it so even though you won't you won't go further back than seventy thousand years for modern humans what that's still that's still not what the mainstream will the where is where are they at just in comparison right now i mean not with not with like uh you know more ancient humans going back to like 750 to 1500 like you were saying um like they're stretching that back but the modern aspect like are they well, are they even the, past are they even prior to the ice age yet yeah i mean they accept that they accept that modern humans are around up until you know what we consider modern humans probably up to at most 120,000 years ago ish right like i say i'd say probably 70,000 but what we have is evidence of definitely of, of cultures sailing and moving around earlier than that now this is something that is, again was very limited until recently that 50,000 years ago um, was theorized was the first human sailing or used a boat that people moved down into Australia from Southeast Asia using boats and that before that nobody had ever sailed that's where the until very very recent that's where they're at but we now we know that in fact there was there were people moving across onto the Mediterranean islands 200,000 years ago. Um, there, there is remains on the island of Socotra off the tip of South Africa that go back perhaps 800,000 years. Um, we have, of course, Flores, the tools and bones there that go back a million years. Um, so, look, the whole, the whole story of that is completely different to what they were telling us. Humans of one sort or another have been using watercraft, if not boats, for maybe a million years. Right, so that story is collapsing. The idea that we were walking ever. So if you look at the map of the world again, and you think all these stories where we had to walk for years and years to get there, if you had a boat, in many cases you could have done it in a week, yeah. right? Yeah. So I mean, these these are things that instantly change the story. Just you think we think, oh, you look on the map, they had to walk twenty thousand miles to get there. Oh, there's a river there. If they crossed that, they were there in a day. So a lot of these stories really are just transitioning as we change that core narrative of what we were capable of. But I do want, you know, I do think that if there was someone else doing a, you know, advanced civilization, that it probably wasn't what we consider modern humans. But, you know, could it be that there was another lineage of Homo sapiens or a Homo sapiens-like, you know, group that did have that that brain change already and that were creating technologies before 70,000 years ago? Obviously, it's possible because we, we only have the fossils that we have. We only have the genetic samples that we have, right? Um, and it is entirely feasible that there was another lineage that maybe did have recursive thinking and did do things a long time ago, but it's just not us, right? Mm -hmm. Because we can do that based on the genetics that we have. Uh, remember, we were very limited in what we have. I mean... The oldest sample of modern human DNA is only about 45,000 years old. So that's the oldest we have, 45,000 years. And the oldest sample of any hominin DNA we have at all is the one I mentioned earlier at Cimatellus Wessos, which is an ancestral Neanderthal going back 430,000 years. So that's the oldest of any kind of human DNA. Right, and again, these are this fragmentary samples we have from a few different sites around there we have you know a couple bits of neanderthal dna you know a sample from a few different early modern humans but there's not like loads of it and in terms of fossils you know again fossil humans are very rare to come across um so you can definitely have entire species or entire subspecies of humans that are just not known you know and indeed that's what we're stumbling on now is that there was lots of different kinds of denisovans and stuff that in fact I don't think we should even be thinking of them as just Denisovans. In the Australian 
and the um, Papuan genome, right? What they are now saying is these different Denisovan groups. Two of them, they said, were were had been living distinct from each other for at least 200,000 years. <laughs> 200,000 years. I mean, so these are not even really in our terms. We wouldn't even call this the same populations. We only call them Denisovans because we haven't got another name for them yet. Yeah. And, they're, and they're entirely different from the Denisovans at Denisova Cave in Siberia. So they've been living a couple hundred thousand years separate from them. And then you've got subgroups who are separate again. They said they'd split probably 400,000 years ago and had lived separate. Right. So in the end, you've got to say these populations were so divergent as that we probably shouldn't be calling them Denisovans, that they're all distinct, as, as distinct as Neanderthals, us, and, and Denisovans, and then until we give them another name. So you start to realize there's five, six, seven of these large-brained humans doddering about. Could there be more? Yes, certainly. There's probably lots of them. Yeah. We just haven't found the fossils, and we haven't yet isolated the DNA, right? So there could be some other population out there that did have this cognitive ability, you know. But I, I don't think we need it as such. I think 70,000 years is enough time to have had something extraordinary happen, right? Because let's say that there was a an advanced civilization 50,000 years ago, right, somewhere, you know. That could easily be to the point of being so wiped out and removed by events as that you wouldn't find that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be back hundreds of thousands of years ago. Because it, one of the things that you've got to consider is that even today, you know, modern humans, we only actually take up a very small percent of the surface of this planet. Even though we feel like, you know, we're, we're everywhere. We actually only take up a very small percent. And if we were to be wiped out and aliens came looking, you know, doing their archaeology, they could easily miss signs of our modern civilization by looking in the wrong places, right? They, they'd be lucky to stumble on, you know, the whatever debris remained from one of our cities in like a, in 100,000 years or something, right? There'd be very little for them to find and they'd have to land in the right place and look in the right place. So we could, we could totally miss, you know, a species that had achieved things on this planet. As you go back further, you know, let's say that there'd been a... a large-brained creature on this planet in the past that was able to do all sorts of wonderful things. If that was hundreds of thousands of years ago or millions of years ago, then we would really struggle. I mean, there's been papers on that, the, what they call the Silurian hypothesis, the idea that, you know, could we find an advanced civilization that existed a million years ago or more? And in the end, it becomes almost impossible. That You know, unless they've done something like... Um, modify the atmosphere if we can find trace in the atmosphere of things they've done or radiation from you know nuclear processes that they did or stuff like that it, it becomes really really hard to find them so we are kind of limited so i'm definitely not dismissing entirely the idea that that was there uh, and also in fact in the book i posit that there were extraterrestrials here living on this planet in the distant past right that they say we were living alongside an advanced civilization, but just I posit that it wasn't humans, yeah. it was extraterrestrials. Um, although that gets into some funny ground as well, because then what is an extraterrestrial? How long do you have to live on a planet before you're not an extraterrestrial? Because yeah. if they're here for hundreds of thousands of years, are they extraterrestrial yeah. or are they just terrestrial? Exactly. Is there any other hidden sort of mysterious changes that aren't, like you mentioned that one that there was no genetic framework for that or like it just happened? Like they don't know yeah. how it happened. Is there any other mysterious little tweaks like that where there is no yeah. like they don't know they know something happened but not what it was yeah yeah particularly one of them um since we last spoke in this new book i, I tackle what's called human accelerated regions which i hadn't heard of when i wrote 
the last book with my wife um turns out that they have these areas and they call yeah human accelerated region so it's kind of there's a hint in the name basically there are areas of the genome that uh, specifically in humans secondly they look like they've been accelerated in the way they've evolved and that you know they are basically just these little sub-regions of the genome and and the first one, which is called HAR1, Human Accelerated Region 1, people can look this up, um, when it was discovered, they compared it between chimpanzees, chickens, and us to see, you know, to see how much change had undergone it. Now, these are in areas of non-coding DNA, so what used to be called junk DNA, and they are also called highly conserved regions. So highly conserved regions are parts of the genome that barely change over vast periods of time. So we assume they are doing things that are so important that, say, all mammals would have almost the same stretch of code, right, even with millions of years apart. Now, the chicken and the chimpanzee have been separate for 300 million years. So, you know, plenty of time. If something was going to change, they've had plenty of time. What they found between them that was in this 118 DNA letter long stretch that in the chicken and the chimpanzee, there were two letters that had changed in 300 million years. So in other words, anytime there's a mutation in that area, it nearly always causes the death of the organism or prevents it from reproducing. Hmm. One, once in every 150 million years, a change occurs that is successful. Hmm. Okay? So that's pretty staggering. Right? So you think, wow, that's doing something important almost never changes. Let's see between the chimpanzee and the human beings, because we're supposed to have had only 5 million years, 5 to 7 million years of distinct evolution. Should be no difference between the two. So they, they run it, they had a look, and it turns out there were 18 letters different. <laughs> right? So they ran the numbers on that. What's the chances of that happening by any known evolutionary means? Zero. Comes up zero. Right, So there's no explanation in terms of conventional evolutionary mechanisms that explains that degree of change in a highly conserved region. And now they've found hundreds of these HARs. Wow. And, and what do they do? They don't know all of them. But remember, remember that evolution was supposed to be random. Right, so when we talk about random mutation and selection, it's it's got that word in it, random. Right, random. So you assume by random that when things change across your body randomly they happen right you might now and again get a change in your kidney or so a gene that changes in your leg right or something that changes in your brain every now you know what i mean by random right but funnily enough of all these ones that they've um, so far have examined around 50 percent of the hrs are to do with the brain <laughs> is that sounding random to you 50 percent at least are to do with the brain Right, so the thing is, and now there's a few articles come out. They said, "Are these what make us human? Are these what make us different from all the other primates? These strange accelerated regions of code, they think, are probably what made us human." The only other time you see that in an article is on chromosome two, which they also think that you see some articles saying, "Is chromosome two the fingerprints of you know of, of Homo sapiens? Is it what made us human?" So you've now got the specific anomalous changes that I highlight: chromosome two, these HARs, as being as being the main differences that that make us who we are versus all the other primates and all the other animals that it seems to be in there. So things like the complex structure of the brain, even the opposable thumbs, they think that those are in there, in these HRs. It seems to be to do with that, the, the way that we have our hands, key areas um, that make us the species we are, are to do with these accelerated regions, right? So you've now got a whole long slew of uh, basically inexplicable um, anomalies 
right, in the genome that range across from chromosomes to genes to non-coding DNA that are all bloody weird, right? All bloody weird that we cannot really understand and that they happen to give us all of this, you know, the, the big brain, the cognitive abilities that we've got, um, you know, even, even the morphology for the hands, all this stuff that differentiates us so we can make tools and do all this stuff. But they all seem to be coming out of these regions. Like, what the hell is going on there? And then we have at that point, 780,000 years ago, other things that are going on. Because, of course, I mean, as you may recall, I talk about a ship having blown up in orbit at that point. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, I'll quickly overview, if you like that, because that, sure. I think, is the clincher in yep. some respects. Yep. So, because people say, okay, I mean, I don't know what people can say about actually that genetics. I guess it's one of those things you either accept or dismiss it. Like, you know, it's either a gut feeling that, well, I just don't like what Bruce is saying, or it goes against my religion, or, or surely we'll find an explanation one day. Or, you know, if you want to dismiss it, you will. That's the first thing, right? But if people go away and look at this, they can welcome to come back to me and say that they found an explanation for these things. Great. Let me know because I haven't found one. Um, yeah, I want to ask you about transhumanism and, and uh, technocratic stuff as well before we end it. Yeah, I think that it all ties in. I think this yeah. does. I mean, if we yeah. finish this bit, then we can yeah. go to that because I think it yeah. ties in. Yeah. And indeed, I think that this craft and all that kind of ties in a bit as well because we are told in this information that a craft arrives that is a living AI. Right? So, sentient craft a giant super intelligence it's going to have been at least i would from what i understand at least probably a few miles across you know we're not talking about a small saucer or so probably a few Even miles across yeah yeah but this is a mothership we're told that it's grown in a silica matrix it's not made it's not hammered there's no nuts and bolts ironic to the whole conversation of ufos the nuts and bolts theory well there is no nuts and bolts in it. it's just grown in a matrix and it's alive right which is kind of funny because now we know we're 3d printing stuff right and you advanced civilizations wouldn't necessarily making crafts right let's you're printing them or you know i guess if they're really far out maybe thinking the crafts into existence right or whatever but they're not doing the things that we're doing in the factory so they have this craft and it's imbued with a living ar you know a living intelligence in the very frame of the craft now this makes a lot of sense if people can look for an article called uh, alien minds by a, it's a leading psych psychologist who looks at ai and all these topics and she theorizes that you know that a civilization out of space, once it gets to a certain level of, you know, of, uh, technological abilities, will likely look at silica as um, superior to the brain. Because if you have a large silica, like, let's like say, a huge silica processor, like you can make a planet-sized silica computer, that so you could have a super intelligence inhabiting a silica planet and essentially upload yourselves into this and become these like indestructible hyper-intelligences and stuff like this, like really far out stuff. And, and, and yet here we are talking about a miles across silica object, right, with a super intelligence on board. Exactly the kind of thing that now our cutting edge fingers are telling us extraterrestrials might turn up in, like <laughs> moons that are just silica moons that are just alive, right? Um, this craft appears and then we have the destruction event, we're told, where it's essentially melted, is hit with what's called a um, let me think of this electromagnetic resonance weaponry. So it's kind of vibrated and heated and blown apart and then explodes. And it's described that this material melts and rains down across the planet. Now I thought that was specific enough that I knew to look for melted silica debris tectites. spread across the planet. Yeah, and that's the way it turned into tectites with the australite tectites. And so then you realize, hang on, so you've got this dates back to seven hundred eighty thousand years ago. <laughs> you got. No, 20% of the planet is covered by this stuff. 
Uh, and as you drill down deeper into it, it turns out there are a lot of things that show that this happened in space. Moldavite, maybe. Well, Moldavite, look, you know, I, I, I think, think I asked you about that last time, yeah. Yeah, there's four there's four strewn fields of tectites. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think there's every reason to suspect that all four are anomalous. Yeah. And that although I don't go a lot into the other three, this you know, when you think about it, if they were to do with normal impact events, why don't we find them everywhere? Right? Because we, we are getting hit by Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I mean and Moldavite, some I mean, some of those tectites are special too, as far as crystals go. I mean very people, special. people have some very interesting experiences with those. The Grail legend as well. If you look at it, actually, the, the, one of the original Welsh versions of the Grail legend is a green stone. Oh, that's right. It's not a cup, right? And there's a lot of stones of the green stone. And then you think of the emerald tablets, right? Yeah. All these things, these green stone. And there's a, a legend from, I mean, from ancient aliens, well, on there. I hadn't heard of it before. But in Italy, there's a mountain, which is, there's a legend that inside the mountain, there is a emerald artifact which can communicate. So and then there's a robot kind of thing protecting it. It's drag, a shape-shifting dragon nice. that can protect yeah, a shape-shifting dragon that protects it. And so these stories of the green stone and being receptacles of information, whether as tablets or cups or as, as you know, whatever, those persist. And now there's something I didn't quite understand before about tectites and why they can't be from normal impacts, um, is that there's something called Moore's Law, which is to do with how glasses form and like how molecules move in glass and all sorts of stuff. But, but one of the things that came when I was studying on this topic is that when you have an impact... When something hits, you get, yes, you'll get a kind of, you know, glass-like substances produced, but you also get around the edges of the crater, you get half-melted rock and stuff, right? And you get, and within the material itself, you get variants because, you know, it might hit some granite and some sandstone and some, you know, some slate because, like, obviously it hits in a random place. And so you get different composition in different bits of the material and you get half melted chunks with half rock half melt now one of the thing, weird things about these tectites is you don't seem to get that what you get is a homogenous material that every fragment is basically the same and there's no signs of the half melted bit or the bit with the other rock in it right so something's not right there it appears that it says to do that usually you have to have sustained heating so we do it in glass also there's a lack of bubbles because when you make glass, you, you heat in such a way you remove the bubbles and stuff, right? And you have a homogenous glass that's the same throughout and without bubbles. And he says there's a way of doing this, do Moore's Law. And he says that it's a specific, you know, process of constant heating over time to do this. Now, in an impact event, you don't get heating over time. You just get a sudden heating event, right, of high-pressure heat event. And you shouldn't end up with this refined glass-like materials. Now, I didn't understand that when I wrote the other book. It's something I stumbled on fairly recently. Um, so, again, he pointed out in tectites, that doesn't make sense if you said that these are impact materials. And he said, like, if you look at the Australian tectites, you don't have any sign of this half-rock, half-Australite material anywhere. Never found. Right? So why isn't it from the edge of the crater? You don't get chunks that are, you know what I mean? If there was a crater, you should have chunks which are half-rock, half-melted, stuff like that. None. And that happens to be on Australia too, right? So well, you should have in other you know other impact sites in Australia and other places, but the, in Australia you don't. Yeah, you don't in the Australian tectite. You never find that. And the other thing is, he said you notice that within the material you've got, particularly Australian tectites. I don't know about with Moldavite, but with Australian tectites, you have bubbles of hard vacuum in it. Now, if something impacts our planet and it has a bubble, it's going to have a bubble of air. It's not going to have a bubble of hard vacuum. So this is forming in space. This is not forming on Earth. Hmm. Uh, also, you have. 
um, well, of course, the shaping Australite tectite buttons, which we, we went into a bit before, that you can look at them and anyone who looks up tectite buttons will see they, they have an aerodynamic shaping, that they were initially a sphere that passed through the atmosphere, they melted and they formed these button shapes. Now, they also, they had to do that. They had to come down in a fairly gentle angle, like a, a deteriorating orbit. So the reentry is at a shallow angle and at a low speed. Because when, a, when an asteroid comes in, or small meteorites, right, when they come in, and obviously they come in usually at a steep angle very fast, that when they come through our atmosphere, what happens is they get so superheated, the external layers evaporate, and you get, you get very little liquefaction because it's so hot. It's, in fact, the center is quite cold because this is all happening so fast. They come in so fast that what happens is the external part evaporates, and then when it's got through the atmosphere, you get the core, which, which impacts, right? cannot form these button shapes. Never happens. So that's why they knew that something different had happened with these Australite tectoids. They had to be coming in from a, a fragmented larger body that was in orbit, and then the debris then is in a decaying orbit, which breaches the atmosphere at a gentle angle quite slowly, and then comes down and has this secondary melting. Uh, where does that fit in with an impact yeah. event? Yeah, that's it doesn't at all. Fits in with an object that's in orbit that's been destroyed, superheated, has formed this glass. The glass has frozen into spheres because it's in a vacuum. We know that liquids form spheres in vacuums. It is now frozen because it's obviously super cold in space. And now it's coming in as though it's from a decaying orbit, like a craft that's been blown up in orbit. It's got bubbles of hard vacuum in it. Right, It rains down across 30% of the planet as though debris field from an exploded craft. And the other thing I didn't know, I got this since we last spoke, was one of the things I used to ponder was, if a ship blew up in orbit like that and there was an initial explosion before this debris field is formed, wouldn't some of it be blasted into space, like as well as downwards? Because you think, well, it's going to go in all directions, right? So you're going to have some of it go straight down and ends up in like Antarctica, southern Australia, which is we know where the debris field starts in that area. Now, but I thought, well, some of it would be blasted upwards as well into space. And now, could some of it end up on the moon? And that, that was something that, used to, you know, I, I pondered, but I thought, well, I can't go to the moon. You know, I can't test that. Um, but if by some chance we found some on the moon, that would really be like a nail in the coffin. Yeah. And I couldn't believe this. It turned out, you know, have you heard of, um, have you heard of the Chris Bledsoe contact cases? Look, Chris couple, Bledsoe. Couple, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard, right. I don't remember the details, but I've heard of it. Right. So he, him and his family, since 2012, we've been having a lot of, interactions with forces that they consider to be kind of angelic or interdimensional. Um, but anyway, he, a friend of his, who's recently passed, unfortunately, is a NASA leading NASA scientist who just happens to be also a, a world authority on tectites. Wow. And, and when I realized that and I got the connection, I was like, oh my God, there's a guy that's like interested in UFOs and interdimensional beings who happens to be an expert on tectites. This is the man I need to speak to. So I reached out to him, and he died two days after I sent the email. What? I was like, this is smart. But looking into his work, what I found was that there was a, an article that, about him, and in it, it's, he talks about that in the Apollo 14 and 15 missions, they found two small spheres of material, which when they examined them, turned out to be identical to Australite tectile. Oh, my God. No way. And I was like, oh, my God, of all the places we landed on the moon, you know, if we and all the things we found, you know, and those, those few missions that we did find it. We wow, found that's the crazy. Australia. Absolutely crazy. And the way of finding it, I found it through a contactee whose friend is an NASA oh. scientist who was a tight expert. 
right? You know when things just fall into place yeah. and you just think there's a bigger plan here, yeah. right? There's a bigger plan here. Um, and it turns out, yeah, we've got the debris on the moon. Fantastic. So hang on a minute. And it's, big, and it's bigger, too, because it didn't have the same atmosphere to go through, right? It sounded like there were bigger well, chunks? Well, you've got the three, some of it is very small pieces, some would be bigger pieces. Right, so these right. were tiny. These were little, oh, okay, little okay. spherules. Found on the moon. Oh, okay. But it's just by luck. And you think, of well, the few missions to the moon, that we happen to have found two of these little spherules of yeah. material. And it turns out that it's, this, it's exactly the same as the Australite tectite. He says, you know, if it had been found on Earth, we would have just said it was Australite tectite. Wow. But of course, it doesn't make sense for Australite tectite to be on the moon. I can't right. believe it. But it does out. if the ship explodes in orbit. It absolutely makes sense. And so, you know, at that point, I'm like, well, we've got all the elements we'd expect from a craft, a silica craft. You know, this eight, again, it's 80 75 to 80% silica. No asteroids or natural bodies that have been encountered have more than 60% silica ever. Straight away, you've got another problem there. We've never found another natural body that has more than 60% silica. This is 75 to 80% silica. And we're told it's a silica craft. You know, the mainframe is silica. We have exploding orbit. We've got bits on the moon now and Antarctica because we know it's gone boom and it's gone in both directions. And we have the debris coming in at that shallow angle as though it's from a decaying orbit of a larger body. We have all that from NASA studies. I'm not getting it from, you know, some unreputable woo-woo book. You know, NASA studies, people can read the papers themselves, telling us it has to have formed in orbit. It has to be from a parent object there. There's no crater for it. You know, you've got the hard vacuum in it. Uh, you've got all those elements. And when is it happening? It's happening 780,000 years ago. What's happening then? All these weird anomalies in the human brain and in the chromosomes, all happening 780,000 years ago. Right? And we're told, I don't think you remember this, told in the information as well that there is a deliberate asteroid bombardment of the planet at the same time. Right? Now, so that's a big claim. I thought, well, you've got two two there that seem to be very well validated. The crystalline ship blowing up, the genetics, you know, so it's telling me that there is this multi-directional asteroid thing, which they do. So we, you know, we pull these things in so we can crack planets open if we want to. So it makes nuclear missiles look like pea shooters. So if we think we're pretty tough, we should watch out because, you know, if they want to crack our planet, they can crack our planet, right? So they pull these things in, bombard specific areas of the planet where they're the opposing forces are underground in bases and that we then you know i was thinking well you know if that really happened would there be evidence turns out that in 2015 2016 that there was a study that found that yes there around 780,000 years ago there'd been a multi-directional bombardment of asteroids <laughs> and it's not one it's not one asteroid breaking up like you might think oh well maybe one breaking up right that'd be weird enough no these are different because it, they tested the material at the sites, and it turns out they have different chemical compositions. These are distinct objects all hitting us from different directions at the same time. What the hell is going on here? Because that hasn't nothing like that's happened since the late heavy bombardment, you know, 3.5 billion years ago, when the, you know obviously there was a lot of debris flying around. Now that doesn't happen, and like they have no attempt in those papers to explain how this is happening. They just say it does. They don't even say this is weird. You know what the hell's going on here? Right? Nobody says it. Same as in that Australite paper. Nobody says, what the hell is this object? Why is it parked in orbit? This is one of the things that gets me. It's like, is it a cover-up? Is it cognitive dissonance? Um, is it just, I don't know. Because, again, like even without any of the stuff, the weirder elements here, you know, if people say, okay, look, let's forget about talking artifacts and and people like me or people like Valerie or these weird people that talk about weird people. Forget all of that. You've got NASA paper, right? And in that paper is telling us that some loony object made mostly of silica 
It's parked itself in orbit 780,000 years ago and you know, breaks apart. And then right at the time that humans appear and that there's a massive bombardment and a magnetic pole shift. This is all happening 780,000 years ago. So forget about me. Forget what, stuff. what the hell is going on there? Why isn't anyone flagging this up as super weird? Well, they will that, be you know, soon. I mean, I mean, the, the UFO thing is now in the mainstream again. They're talking about the U.S. Navy stuff again. I mean, people are they're opening right up to it. I don't think that that kind of thing is a cover-up as much as just like like you said, the mm-hmm. dissonance between oh, I, I, they wouldn't even think of, you know, any a huge ET craft exploding over Earth seven hundred eighty thousand years ago. I mean, they just think it's too far just, outside. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's just. But it's coming. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's coming. I mean, even the. I, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, I think it's sliding that way. Yeah. Because they keep talking about techno signatures, alien techno signatures. We've got to find these, and then saying about probes maybe being on the asteroids that there could be these bracewell probes out. In the last year or so, both of those topics have become. Um, way more acceptable than yeah. ever were yeah. you know now that's mainstream news that you know we should yeah. look for alien probes um that we, we must look for these alien techno signatures like break you know, what's it called um these uh huge mega structures and things like that so now it's like, and again with this idea of super intelligence is made of silica how long before one of them looks back and says oh yeah shit that that giant silica object that parked itself in orbit and exploded what the hell was that you know that so I, I think you're right i think it's coming and it probably there's already scientists that are looking at it. I don't think I can be the only person who's noticed that for a start. Um, secondly, you know, obviously people know I exist. I mean, I'm on, you know, I'm on TV and whatnot. So, I mean, there's a good chance that some scientists look at my work. Yeah, I'm not going to yeah. say that, you know, yeah. I'm some big star, but it's a good chance that some have heard of it. Cause you know, I talk loudly and I make sure that I put things out there as much as I can. Well, and you're um, multidisciplinary too. So you're not have, you don't have to focus on one little thing. That's why you can, put all these things together right that's the right the brilliant part about it so i think we're not too far off from that but i think at some point yeah and i think the other thing is well how would they broach it because the problem of course is you know if it's easy for someone like me who you know i can take all this you know under my belt and i without having a breakdown or something. but i don't know from your end and what do you think in terms of if it was on the news tomorrow by the way it turns out that humans had been genetically engineered by an alien race and that you know in all that stuff that we believed was wrong and that we need to rethink the creation story i mean that's a big one isn't it? i mean i think it's worth you know for a lot of people that's a lot worse than the idea that ufos are probes from another dimension you know what i mean it's i don't know what do you think how do you think the average person would handle it or could they handle it yeah that's a bit out there still but i do think it ties into the technocratic push right now the transhumanism i mean they want us to be engineered you know they want us to be really just basically a tracked slave that can sit there and just do whatever we need to do without uh, being free and worrying about you know messing up the 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 elite's plans i mean really that seems to be where it's going so it's not that much of a stretch to think that while we were also, you know, tinkered with with other people as well. I mean, that they want to do it right now, like next mm-hmm. year. They want to give us a, you know, a tattoo, a tracking mm-hmm. tattoo stamp with a vaccine, and they're going to keep fluoride in the water and all the other things they've been experiencing. I mean, they're talking about this hundred years ago in books. The elites talk about it. They want to experiment on us. So it's be, it's happening. Absolutely. It's been happening for hundreds of years now, or or decades at least. We've been we've been messed with by our own humans. So mm-hmm. uh, and know, I think their God is naturally going to be one of these super intelligent AIs that in the end, the, the only true God yes. of a technocracy it's, has to be AI. It's an atheistic AI God. I mean, it's, it's yeah. still a religion. Yeah. So there's going to be, and that's what you say in the merger, obviously the merger with AI is the communion with God. 
Yeah. Right. So if you're a technocrat now, you want to merge with that divine AI. So it's kind of funny. So you think, you know, they're saying they, this story's coming back, saying that, yes, there are super intelligences. Yes, you can genetically engineer species. Yes, you know, all these things have been done before. You know, all these things have happened before and will all happen again. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. The, if there yeah. was a catchphrase to yeah. all of this, it'd be right? Yeah. And that we are only now, we're being shown it. And I it's think an this improvement. It's showing an improvement, it now right? To tell us well, it's happening again. Yeah. Yeah, it's all yeah. happened before. And you've hit the end of the cycle. Yeah. Now you have become like us. This you is an improvement. Like you can be happy just sitting at home, doing your thing, surfing the net, connecting to the greater intelligence of the world with food injected into you. And uh, you can just be happy and content. I mean, yep. that's, I feel like that. We're just, a choice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, is it, do you want to merge, you know, agenda 2013 or, yeah. you know, do you want to go down that route? And I think yeah. that this is the great split, like the hope he talked about. He said that, you know, there is a split in the road on Hopi Prophecy Rock. There is a split in the road where humanity goes down two different paths. Oh, there's, interesting. You know, those with the path with the heart, the two-hearted people and the one-hearted people. Back to nature but or look, into the AI. I mean, really, that's the choice. And it's coming quick. Like, yeah, I feel like it's coming quick. I didn't realize is, how quick it was. Yeah, this year. People yeah. have been divided so much over the issues that are happening right now. Yep. Of course, with the the pandemic and um and also the social engineering and how yep. we're going to resolve it if you look yep. at the world economic forum they're openly saying it's the fourth industrial revolution the, engineering, the great reset of human beings yeah yep. the great reset yeah openly yeah the great reset they're openly saying it now we are being given a choice whether we know it or not some people are not even aware they're in a choice and they're making a choice but there is two roads and one of them you know it goes towards that merger with the machine and with yep. the ai god and all yep. this stuff and that the, you know, the ai super cities run by the ai the great ai this holy ai who you can commune with and merge with and upload to and all this you know right so and i think that this other intelligence is kind of saying to us look this is kind of related it's already yeah. happened before this stuff isn't cuckoo woo woo this stuff happens and yeah. it's happened before and they'd be be aware that you have that this is happening. Yeah, you know, be aware that this stuff is going on, and that look, it is possible, and it's you know, we've done it. You're gonna do it, uh, but do you want to? That's a great point. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a point. I think it's like saying, do we want to? Because I do think we're gonna have a choice, you know. And there's a there's a kickback. So there's a lot of people feeling more like going back to nature, you know, that get out of this, get farms. You know, I've heard loads of people say, I want to go and grow my own stuff and I want to be more independent and get away from the machine. You know, um, I think that that is the split is that, you know, some people will feel that I don't want to go. I think in a way it will be simple almost as being in the cities. I mean, I think the focus seems to be like these mega cities where they'll have, because if you think it's easier to have AI grids and facial recognition and control yeah. within a city, right? Yeah. So there's always this push, this idea of mega cities that they're yep. going to put all the humans into mega cities where you get all your social credits, you get your cameras, you get all the, the AIs running all your CO2. CO2 is important because you can use CO2 to control what people are doing. Right? This is why it's not about the ecosystems or the collapse of the insects. It's CO2 because you can say, well, if you're producing too much, then we can turn down your electricity. You know, we can monitor your CO2 production by the amount that you do things. So you can't do this and you can't drive and you are controlled and controlled. Right, so that's why that's part of the narrative. So you have the CO2 grid within the superstructures to say why you're no longer allowed to do stuff and why you can't go into nature and you have to stay in the megacity. And then eventually in the megacity, the AI takes more and more control until what are you? You know, you're just some, um, well, until you're plugged into it. Until you're plugged into the AI. I yeah. mean, and that's in, they, say, they say in their own videos, you won't be able to know where the technology begins and the human ends kind of thing. That's exactly, what they're kind of saying in exactly. their videos. 
right? And that's what people need to look at is that they're not just, this isn't me just saying, they're saying in their own promo videos at the World Economic Forum that you won't know and they're talking about superpowers and stuff that, you know, we have superpowers and, um, I mean, they really, they're putting it all out there for people. I know, that's what's crazy. It's overt. It's not hidden. I mean, it's, yeah. I, I mean, do you think that that's part of the fourth industrial age or whatever? Yeah. It's just the fourth Reich rebranded yeah. and it's horrendous. Yeah. Do you think that's part of just natural evolution over time? Or do you think that that's, I mean, or is there, is that the cosmic battle that's interplaying now between us using us as a, as a tool? I mean, you know, you've got the, the, the communication aspect from the higher intelligence that you're talking about, but what, is there another one that's, you know, is that the people that blew up the, you know, the ship way back when now they're, yeah. now they're, you know, and they're pushing us towards AI. I mean, it, it feels like we're still part of this, yeah. you know, we're pawns in this is. cosmic battle, you know? Yeah, I think it's like the way I'd look at it is that, you know, if you see the as above, so below, we have a lot of this Cold War and uh, East versus West. And, you know, we've had all that going on for centuries, really. There's always been some level of a split in mankind, you know, that this area of East versus West, Cold Wars. and all this, right, that, that is above and below that there is a Cold War. In my view, there is a Cold War that is ongoing. Yeah. For, yeah. into the depths of time yeah. between t- t- at least two different collectives of intelligence, right? That you have on the one side, one that is very much linked to Orion for some reason, and one that's very much linked to the Pleiades in our mythology, yeah. and that these two groups have been at war for a long time. And I say that they have a Cold War, but with sparks, and some of those sparks are crafts falling to earth on fire. <laughs> right? because, be- because people say, you know, oh, how did, you know, we shot down this craft, or why do these ETs, they come all this way and then they crash? Uh, who's taking them down? Yeah. I don't think we were shooting them down with arrows back in the day. I don't think our machine guns took them down in the 1930s and 40s and stuff. Right? I, I think we have to be realistic. You know, if they're that advanced, who the hell is shooting them down? Mm-hmm. Right. So you've got to have someone else who's got those capabilities. So every now and again, there is a conflict. And there's direct encounters where people have said, there's one in Australia where these, this guy said when he was younger, they saw two craft fighting. And it, it sm- one of them smashed through the tree when it came down. And they, yeah, the branches were all broken. So it wasn't happening in his, his mind, you know, yeah. that the tree was. The police turned up and they said, yeah, there was all these mysteriously broken branches and stuff. And he said that these two different kinds of crafts were fighting, right? That this is, and you look in the legends that there's a war between Orion and the Pleiades. And the Orion the Hunter is, is following the Pleiades. All this stuff, there's a lot of mythology to this but there seems to be an age-old conflict and if you look in the you know the more the extra biblical texts and stuff you get to these stories about the watchers yep. right and that here were the watchers and you know there's this account where i cannot remember the guy's name but he says you know in my vision i saw watchers and you know he says one of them looks like you know has the head of a, a viper and he's like, who are you? Sort of thing. And there's another one that looks, you know, more human-like, from what we can gather. And he's sort of asking, you know, who are you? And he says, well, he is the ruler of all that is darkness and evil and horrendous. Is that basically that this, you know, we have been given control of your world. We, these different watchers, you know, that we both kind of rule over your world in a way. But you've got to choose between us. That we're kind of battling for this world for you. The idea of battles for souls, like it's a semi-spiritual religious kind of terms yeah, right yeah. but there's war souls and all this and that but that we have to make a choice and again like you know like the, the thing with the devil or these legends don't you? you have to agree to the devil right yeah. you have to agree so you ask for something and it's like okay but you know you're gonna have to pay and so there's the idea that for a long time people on this planet have been signing off with some party that gives them stuff in yeah. return for selling for out everybody soul. else yeah 
Yeah. Shell on your soul. Because yeah. imagine the, the depths of evil that you have to reach to agree to a deal where you know is the destruction of your species, basically. Yeah. You know, that they're saying, yeah, yeah how you will get, you know, you'll have the big house, you'll have the corporation, but your corporation's got to make infrastructure for the takeover or the yeah. destruction of all of your family and friends and everyone you ever meet. <laughs> so you've got to understand that, you know, that that's in the deal. You've got to put the 5G satellites. You've got to do the Internet of Things. You can have your mansion and you can have whatever you want, but you're going to do that. Oh, and we expect you to carry out certain rituals. Yeah. There's certain <laughs> things you've got to do. Yeah. The rituals is there for whatever reason, yeah. you know, horrendous yeah. rituals they have to go to. Right. So to make that contact, it seems you have to do horrendous things to establish the contact with that intelligence, things that we consider horrendous and we call yeah. satanic and all the rest of it. I don't think it's a satanic problem. I mean, I would rebrand that as a as a Dracoist problem yes, because I think yes, that these are what's called the Draco. Yeah, that there's an entity, yeah. a class of entities, the Draco, that are pure evil from yeah. our what we demons, devil, whatever we call it, and that that's them. And that these people we call the elites and stuff that are doing these rituals that involve horrendous abuse, horrendous abuse, and it keeps coming up. We can ignore it all we want, cognitive dissonance, but people keep coming forward saying that they were involved in occult ritual abuse by politicians and world leaders and uh, and, and industrialists and stuff and, and they say you know these people were there they saw kids killed they saw all sorts of stuff yeah. um, and uh, we ignore it it comes out again and again and again and again and again it doesn't matter X N I X E M. you know all these Hollywood people are doing it uh, Einstein uh, what's his name Einstein, um, yeah. Einstein I, is doing I, it the Hollywood people are involved Epstein. we've got Epstein yeah that whole network it doesn't matter how many times you know somehow and again I don't know if this is what's in the water or some beams you know in our heads but we somehow people ignore it and we keep going on as though it's, there's not big, it's, 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 it's coming it's coming again like like everything else there's going to be an awakening about this you can't keep the lid off that anymore there's too many people being no. arrested there's too much stuff leaking out but that's too big for a lot of people even just a year or two ago it's too big for a lot of people to understand the gravity of what's really going on i mean absolutely and particularly if you start putting in this element that there is a reason you know why would people do that okay there's an intelligence that when you do that, it gives you whatever you want. Exactly. Like, okay, that's why you do it. You know, that's why some people will do it. Where do I sign up? <laughs> yeah, and we know. Look, we know that was it. Six percent of people on this planet are psychopaths or yeah. narcissists. Yeah, six percent. Yeah, we and know that's that all it takes is that six percent. Yeah, sorry, that's all it takes. You yeah, know, that's small think, percentage. Always, those yeah. people do well in hierarchical um, yeah. Yeah. structures. Yeah. What's the hierarchical structures? Oh, our religions, <laughs> our corporations, our governments, and those people get to the top invariably because they will step all over everyone else. They will crush people, stab them in the back, lie about them, destroy them, so they get to the top. So we end up with these psychopaths in those positions of power, and those are the people that get in the offer. Say, so, hey, well, you've already been selling out everyone anyway. What's the difference? Hey, and you'll have a big house. You'll have infinite power on earth you'll have all of this but you know yeah you you know you've you've got to do this work for us yeah you know, and you've got these rituals that there's important things that come with it but you will have all the power you can imagine yeah so i mean it's i know for people it's a struggle but if you don't have i guess a kind of uh, either a belief in aliens or a belief in spiritual religious concepts i guess if you're just thinking about I don't know what's the breakfast tomorrow, what's on TV. It's like, like it's so far out. I get that, but unfortunately, none of it is so far out as, as it's not scientifically reasonable, right? And uh, I'll give you another scenario here, which I, I sometimes put out to people because, again, I think people need to expand their minds in these topics, particularly like alien topics. And say, why would aliens come here? And oh, you know, do they want the gold or they want to eat us? And like these simplistic, very basic animal 
fought. So we have as an animal of Earth, right? That we know. We look at all the other animals. We know what they do. They want something. They want to eat, or they they get some minerals they use, or you know whatever, right? So we think like that. Quite simple. We don't think in terms of a galactic civilization or some or someone that's been around for a million years out there in space. The kind of needs they have, right? Now, Earth is a is a not particularly special planet. We know that. There's loads of other Earths, super Earths, and all sorts of stuff.、Right? So finding minerals, water, all of that, plentiful. The only thing Earth has is life. It's different to other planets, right? We look out there and we don't find lots of life. So the first thing we have to say is the wants of any civilization connected with Earth is something to do with the life on the planet. On the external、right. part, anyways. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. there'll be nothing else. The gold is of no interest. Gold is plentiful in asteroids.、Uh, water, you can get that from comets. You don't. There's nothing we have on this planet other than life that is special. Right, DNA codes, life. Now, there is something that be, that might be very interesting to a very advanced civilization who has gone the route of post biological progression. Because if if you go that route and you decide to upload your mind or an echo of your mind into a silica network, large silica networks, and you decide to become Silica, post-biological life, to roam the universe for eternity in that state, you know, living within the networks, right? Okay, that's fine. But what if somewhere in that process you decide, I don't like it. I don't like it. I want to go back. Right? It didn't work out. There's no reason to think that you can't return to the biological world. But what you'll need is vessels. Yeah. You need life, lots of life, because sentient yeah, you need, life. You need some, yeah, sentient life. You need something to return into. You want a way back. Now, if you want a way back from a post-biological existence, well, let's say a planet with seven billion suitable receptacles, right?、Yeah. <laughs> or, or not even living ones, but the the embryonic life of that. Yeah. Right. That you download. You want to download back to the biological world, and you now you have a planet with with a very large number of of fetuses available for you to now download back into. Yeah. Right. But that might be something you'd be looking for. You'd be aha. You know, like we we really need that. You know, we can come back. Now, if we're saying they want to build this infrastructure where the Internet of Things, which clearly we're meant to be linked to, I mean, anyone that hasn't got that bit yet is slow on the uptake. That they want you to be part of the Internet of Things, where everything is linked, and then you get your chip, and then you're linked by the five G grid to the Internet of Things, and gradually there's an incursion of that technology further and further until it chips in the brain, and then, as they say, they want you to be fully linked with the AI. Whether it's through kind of Elon Musk's direct brain, you know,、uh, communication with the AI, or something more subtle, chips embedded in the brain, etc., or placing parts of the brain with cybernetics, until you are part of the AI system. So instead well, of a sentient now, human, you've got the whole network, right? And you're networked in, and then、yeah. so what else is in that network with you? Is something going to download into you, and、yeah. you be uploaded back into the cube or whatever? And you find that that was the the, the end game was the great transmission of all of those consciousnesses. Back into the biological world, and we find you know whoever chose that route is now just floating through space in a cube or whatever. I mean, we don't know. I mean, we have to be careful because we're not dealing with just fantasy things. We know that this is what we expect of advanced civilizations. You know, this is what our leading edge thinkers are telling us that ninety percent or more of alien civilizations will probably be post biological. That's what they fear. I mean, NASA and people theorize that that because inevitably you have to create technologies to travel space. Right, so you you've gone down the route of technology. You're going to have robot probes. You're going to go down into you know, quantum computing and AI and all that stuff that we're doing. But they'll be way ahead. 
and that then either you choose to upload yourselves or simply you create AI and the biological life forms become extinct over time. So eventually all that's left is either the robotic remnants of civilizations or the uploaded entities themselves in vast silicon networks. So they were most likely to encounter post-biological civilizations. And that's kind of kind of there straight away you've got that thing that you know you've got huge ai ship in this story you've got you know the idea that there are these roving intelligences now i do think people should really think seriously why is it that this drive seems to be networking yeah, us into yeah. a central yeah. ai hub yeah what is it that's going to be connecting to our brains yeah. in that hub what yeah. does it want right does it want to download into us so we think we're getting on network and it just downloads into us all yeah, right. something is creepy and weird. It's like, you know, there is the war for souls, and it just wants, you know, it wants all of us, and that's always the sort of weird deal in these stories. And it's kind of like the possession story, like what is possession and that, like, yeah, you know, there's. So I think that, yeah, I think it's something creepy like that. That's in very, a very, very gnostic back. too. It feels it is, yeah. yeah. And I think these warnings are in there, and like, the thing is, you could say, oh, who is so crazy? But the people are telling us they want to build. Yeah, this, this isn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not. Just read those books from the elites. I mean, look at somebody like Jay Dyer and his analysis on all the the elite books. They're talking about this, experimenting on us, controlling us. They don't want, they think the place is getting overpopulated. I mean, it's crazy. So it's, it's out there. This is just a modern, modern version of that or technologies enabling that now. They've yep. been thinking about it for decades, yeah, and they finally, they finally Bar, get it. You know, we're yeah. doing the Chris Bar, we're doing the gene drives and yeah. stuff. And, yeah. you know, and again, and with that, I mean, you can create a crisis at the genetic level that makes us flee into the AI world and all sorts of stuff. Because if you, if you look at, like, gene drives where you can – I mean, they do the moment – the first thing that people concern people is that who is putting money into gene drives? Like, gene drives allow you to change the way in which – um, reproduction happens. So like you're using mosquitoes at the moment. So you can edit the information in such a way that not only do you have desirable traits in the modified organism, but that its, its information overrides that of the other breeding partner so that all children wow. of a union involving a modified organism will have only the information from the modified parent. Wow. Right? So with a gene drive, you overwrite a species. You can overwrite a species or you can eradicate a species straight away. So now let's say that you want to make all humans infertile. Just say that there's some called maniac out there yeah, that's been yeah. associated with that. Yeah. Now, let's see who's funded. Who's been putting a lot of money into gene drive research? Oh, it turns out it's DARPA and the Gates Foundation. And, and Epstein probably. Wasn't he involved probably, in some of that yeah, technology yeah, stuff? Because he wants his I, own... Genes and nobody else's. I mean, who knows yeah. what the fuck? Well, he's up we to. used to be, he was always meeting with um, Bill Gates as well. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Right? So we, you, uh, know, you think about it, like we usually start tying back in. Yeah. Got DARPA, yeah. really dark military stuff. Ugh. Tying with Gates and his agenda. Tying in with this weird post biological thing. Evidence of an AI here. Yeah. The UFO topic suddenly being acceptable. Human the trafficking idea in there as well. I mean, if 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 yeah. I mean Epstein was involved in some of the technological stuff, then that. Brings yep. that whole thing and into it. Oh. It's all tying back in. And that's yeah. the, the crazy bit. People used to think, oh, there's tinfoil hat conspiracy. But again, 
Go on to the World Economic Forum's website. Yeah. Look at what their videos tell you about what their plans are. Yeah. You know, look at what Gates and stuff doing. Look at what Elon Musk's building. Look at what's happening. Look at the Internet of Things. Look at the gene drives. Look at what, all these technologies. And then look at it in those contexts. Yeah. And all these ancient stories our ancestors have told us are so important yeah. about selling your soul yeah. and that there's beings that you sell your soul to and that, yeah. you know, all these things that have been, we've been told by our ancestors. Do we trust them? They were trying to warn us. Yeah. They've done everything they could to warn us about certain things, cataclysms that have happened to them, um, beings that interacted with them. And they've done everything they can to pass it on to us. And now there's an intelligence that seems to be telling us as well, look, look, all this stuff, you know, it's happened before. You know, yes, you've been engineered. and that We are out there. That You have allies if you ask for them. And I think this is another thing. I think that, again, you have to ask, like yeah. with the exorcism yeah. and stuff, you have yeah. to ask for help. Yeah. I believe yeah. that what's happened at the moment is we are in the grips of a very dark non-human intelligence there is another intelligence that is awaiting us to say we do not want to work with these beings we want out of this we want help from someone that is not possibly yeah. evil yeah. <laughs> that has this dark plan for us yeah. but that we have to wake up enough to actually ask for that help awesome. a lot of this is to do with free will and us choosing yeah. where we go and split in the road Wow, what an awesome way to wrap up like the stuff about your book and comparing it to what's actually going on right now. I mean, we are in the middle of this long-term event. Uh, man, it's a great chat. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, we got to wrap up here. Um, sure, we got another yep. show, but yeah, thanks, man. You got to keep in touch. And Darren, do you got a, anything to say there? No, big thanks up? for coming on the show, Bruce. We'll have to come have you back again when the next book comes out and. Do all this do you, have again. Any, do you have any plans? What are you doing after this book? When is it out? How's the reception been? Is it good so far? As far as I know, it's going all right. It's, um, I mean, the publisher's handling the sales side of it, but feedback's been good. People have told me that they enjoy it. Awesome. You know, it's had good reviews. Um, we've made a short 45-minute kind of video awesome. overview of it with um, Alex at Skeptico. That should oh, be yeah, out yeah. tomorrow. Okay. Well, well, I'll no. link to that in the show notes, so cool. I'll, I'll find that and, then, and link to it. Yeah. Obviously, people can get it anywhere, you know, Amazon, Borders, local bookstores, they can order it. Um, yeah, it should be, it's anywhere. And they, anyone wants to follow me, I'm on Twitter mostly, Exogenesis HH. Obviously, some of the stuff I say is uncomfortable for people, but they're welcome to follow me if they like. <laughs> can't, can't be cancelled anymore because you already are, so. I've cancelled myself, yeah, so yeah. I'm all right. Well, they'll kick you off Twitter eventually. <laughs> eventually, yeah, they have to. In the yeah, end. it's bound to happen. Well, we Especially. appreciate you staying up till two in the morning for us. Thanks, buddy. It was a great Thank chat. you. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks. Awesome. And I'll let you go on to your next um, show. Get a quick uh, coffee before you All right. <laughs> get started. Okay, Thanks, Chris. buddy. Okay, speak to you again soon. See okay. you, buddy. Take care. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was our chat with Bruce Fenton. Wow, that was fantastic. Holy. That was mind-blowing, buddy. I loved it. Yeah, it was a good one. And I didn't even get to read the book yet. So I don't know. Maybe I don't have to now. No, you probably, that well, was, yeah, you no, should I'm still read kidding, the book. You'll have to, I know I will. Just have to check your emails from time yeah, to time. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Big thanks to Bruce for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for uh, tuning in. Uh, if you guys are finding a little value from the podcast, do check out gramerica.ca slash support. Send a little value back our way. And uh, it does help. We love you for it. GrabAmerica.ca slash support. There's a bunch of different things you can do in the show notes, uh, ways to support the show that don't cost you anything. Review the show, share the show, spam gram, sign people up for the newsletter, all that fun stuff. Uh, enjoy the chats. 
Join the chat. Maybe subscribe to our YouTube channel too. That'd be good. We'll get up to 10,000. I mean, we don't even focus on that. It's just really a platform for us to go live. We don't care about, you know, getting canceled off there. I think it's not monetized because it's value for value. But yeah, join YouTube and uh, subscribe there and uh, join us when we uh, go live. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. My servo power is depleted. I don't have breath. I can't sing no more. Probably stare at the wall until I see right through it. Probably stare at the ceiling until I see right through it. Thousands of feet up, that's you in a jet plane. Flying to paradise. Also known as heaven. Clouds, clouds, and more clouds. Clouds, you make me proud. Go groan. Go groan alone. Go roll your bones alone. The location is west of the river. And I'm wringing my hands and pacing the floors. But other than that, thank God I'm satisfied. Thank God I'm satisfied. Thank God I'm satisfied. Thank God I'm satisfied. your mind